Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Monday, September 21st, and I'm your co-host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined... I'm hatless today, but I am joined by the woman who is in a hat 50% of the time, at least. <laughs> Hello, Carter. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. Honestly, I need a vacation, but I'm all right. <laughs> you I'm do need a vacation. I, I really feel like... like my wife, my wife is in, she went to China for business and she, they, when you go to China now, you have to stay in a hotel room and have contact with no one for two weeks. They, they quarantine you. Um, so like they bring her meals in little sealed things and no one, like no one comes into her room and it's kind of like a forced vacation. She's, she's working cause she's a workaholic, but she can't work that like she only has her laptop, like there's not. She's kind of being forced to relax a little bit. I'm jealous. This makes me think of, so my old business partner, who you know, who you're friends with, um, she's a workaholic. And every year for Christmas, she probably still does this, but every year she would go, she would save up her money and she would go to one of these retreats in Thailand silent retreats where all of these powerful entertainment industry people would go and you, and they go for like two weeks and they, you don't speak for two weeks and you're not, not allowed to read books and you're you only, yeah, no electronics, no phone, no wow. books, no talking. All you do is meditate and yoga and eat. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. I could do, I could do like a no to electronics, read books and lie on a beach kind of vacation, but I don't, I don't, know that yeah yeah uh, uh well i i wish your wife the best yeah. <laughs> in her two weeks of quarantine and i think yeah. you do need a vacation well welcome for anyone who's new this is uh unsafe space cafefi break live which we do on mondays and fridays we have we also do interviews we have a show called deprogram where we deep dive into social justice ideology which is my old belief system and we have several interviews coming out uh, in the next week or two, um, yes. Charles Murray will come out this week. <clears throat> um, so awesome. we're gonna we had a great conversation with Charles Murray. We just need to pick a time, which I guess you and I can do after the show, Carrie. Uh, but Charles Murray will come out this week, and we've got a lot of other stuff in the queue as well. So um, multiple videos will come out this week. Good. So <laughs> yes. Um, also, we have a new subscribe star goal which I think we're almost halfway to. We, we decided to make a monthly goal for Subscribestar that would kind of give us something to shoot for for our next milestone in being able to eat and be self-sufficient in some way and, and have some help. So um, so that's good. Uh, you can go over to unsub, uh, you can go to unsafespace.com slash donate, or you can just go to Subscribestar and see that. You can also start subscribing with PayPal, which I, I know some people have done, so appreciate the new people checking out PayPal. Um, we also have coming up book club. So Sunday, so a week from yesterday, we're going to be doing Charles Murray speaking of. We have the interview with him coming out this week. We are doing his book for book club. And so you've got another week left to read this book. We're going to be discussing it on Sunday. You can be a part of it if you email us at speak at unsafespace.com and let us know if you want to be in the video discussion. And if you don't, you can just be in a live chat like today. Um, after this book, we're going back to fiction. We're doing Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. So uh, you can go ahead and start on that one if you want. Anyway. Yeah, I've been, I haven't, uh, I finished the Human Diversity one a while ago. I haven't started Screw Tape Letters though. 
is it going to be a fun is that just going to be a fun read it looks like a fun short read i think it's going to be really interesting short okay. read shortish right. shortish um uh, yeah and as i mentioned last time if you haven't cracked open human to diversity human diversity uh it's it's not a quick saturday afternoon read so uh start it if you want to be in the club uh all right carrie I don't know. I feel like a lot always happens, so it's kind of tiring to say. A lot happened this weekend. Yeah. A lot happened since Friday. Uh, I guess the big news is uh, RBG's passing, which happened Friday yes. after our show. Yeah. So I've had a couple thoughts about this, and I was hoping to go through some of the particulars of some things with you. Um, if maybe you could help me better understand if you remember what happened with Merrick Garland, I wanted to hear some comparisons. My, my, uh, feeling on this is that, uh, that, that any sitting, okay. So first of all, her passing is sad. This human being has passed away before people could even properly share condolences. I saw Lots of people on Twitter, which is the worst place to be for something like this, but people talking about how already the people on the left saying, this is war. This is war. This is war. This is war. Wait, Time to burn things down. I thought you were about to say you heard people on the right start like. No. Oh. No, I'm still in a lot of leftist circles, so I can see see what people are saying. I'm in some circles on the right now, too. I have a pretty, I think, good balance of people, but... I was seeing posts from people on the left talking about this is war. If if Trump nominates somebody, we've got to burn it all down. And those posts concerned me. I'm sure there were posts, awful posts of glee from the right, too. I just didn't see them. But, you know, that always happens um, no matter the side. So people just already moving to politicize it, to politicize the vacancy and to start talking about um, rioting and things like that. It, it just sort of made me a little depressed to see that. And then uh, I did see Trump, uh, Trump's remarks on hearing her, hearing about her passing, that, that weird video where a tiny dancer was playing in the background. I didn't. Did I you didn't see, that? see that? No. It's actually, it's very, uh, he's, he's, what he says about her is beautiful. It's appropriate. And I was thinking about people who are in the le on the left who really just hate him, hate, have an emotional gut reaction to him like I used to have, if they saw that, would that soften at all to see him expressing condolences and to see it off the cuff? You see him as he's learning about her death. But I don't know. Oh, really? I think they would – yeah, I think he would – they would maybe still find a reason to have fault with it. But I thought it was yes, kind of um, a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Huh. <clears throat> so I saw that. I also saw Biden's remarks – and I thought that was interesting because here we got to see Biden off the cuff. Um, he had just come off an airplane. And so th it wasn't like they were picking him on a good day. You know, these rumors about how they only put him in the front of the press on good days because he, he has these mental health or mental issues that are, what's the word? Det he's deteriorating. Dementia. Supposedly. Right. Dementia issues. Mm -hmm. So we got to see him... Um, in a, in a, where he it was off the cuff and he seemed scat he did seem scattered to me he did seem like he was really searching for words yeah May, I'm not doing much better this morning though so <laughs> I'm all tired. that's okay <laughs> maybe you're just a puppet and you're being controlled by someone <laughs> yes 
<laughs> no, um, I, you know what? Then, I, I actually saw yeah. the a Nancy Pelosi video that was going around, and I want I was gonna make fun of it, and then I realized like, I don't know. You never know sometimes with technical stuff. So she was being interviewed, and it was a re obviously a remote interview, like on CNN or something like that. I don't remember what channel. But they asked her a question, and she, it was like she kind of – it was like someone just hit the reset button on her. She, like – there was a long, long pause, and then she was like, hello. Like she kind of started with something that was totally different. Uh, and I wanted to make fun of her for that. But on the other hand – you never know what's going on in her ear and tech issues and whatever. And people might just say, no, start over. Like, you don't know what was happening because sometimes there's weird delays or stuff breaks and she doesn't know what she's responding to. So I didn't want to pick on her too much for that. Biden, I think, though, has kind of demonstrated that there's definitely some – there's a few, few screws loose. So something's happening. There's some senescence issues, which is sad, right? There's, the, you know, uh, things happen when you get old. That's okay. Someone yeah. needs to, his grandkids need to go take him some lemonade and stick him on the porch. Ask him to tell him, tell me about that. Can you tell me about corn pop again, grandpa? That's how he should spend the next few years of his life. Yeah, I just don't think he should be, do, I don't know. I just don't think it's good for him or the country for him to be in this position. But, and then the final thing, I, my thoughts on it were before, before I, I have some questions for you and I want to hear your thoughts. But my yeah. final th thing was seeing the celebratory posts from blue check marks, elite media on Saturday, where they were boasting about the thousands of people who came to these um, demonstrations at the Supreme Court. I now supposedly in support of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I think what really animates those things is in opposition to whoever Trump is going to pick. And yeah. so they were showing these photos of just masses of people. And there was no commentary shared about COVID. It was simply, look how beautiful this is. Look at all these thousands of people that showed up at the Supreme Court. And it just got under my skin because I am tired of the nonsense we that they are forcing us to live through around COVID. And the nonsense is illuminated with the hypocrisy that happens when they throw all of their cautions and what you can and can't do out the window when it's something they're cool with. And yeah. so it every just really got under my it's like every single time. So this is okay. Kids can't go to school, but this is okay. People are still out of work. Small businesses are going under left and right. There are small businesses in my town that have gone under. Small businesses are going under, but this is okay. You know, we can't go out to vote in person, but this is okay. And yep. it it really just it, it kind of grossed me out to see it, which is not the reaction I think they're looking for. They're looking for people to say, wow, look at this outpouring of people who are there who care about the Supreme Court seat or who care about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whatever their motivations for being out there were. Um, but no, I saw it and I saw a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the word of the day should be like disillusionment. It's just, I don't, I don't know how you look at mainstream narratives in the mainstream media and the reaction to anything these days and not just feel depressingly powerless and detached from the insanity that seems to be ruling the world. Um, yeah. Not trying to be, you know, I, look, I, I don't know how to feel about Ginsburg because uh, it's sad when a human dies 
and I couldn't stand her <laughs> her positions. Um, and I, I think it's good that we're going to have someone else, although <clears throat> you could argue there's problems with the Supreme Court generally. But uh, I'm glad that she's out of office. I'm not glad that she's dead. I guess that's a good way to put it, uh, which Be Beverly <laughs> helped me clarify when we were talking about it earlier. Um, I don't know why she didn't step down. She's had cancer like four times. She could have stepped down during the Obama administration. Um, and maybe she thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. And so um, she wait and she waited too long and then kind of knew once Obama was a lame duck, it was too late. And she had to try and, you know, last until the next Democrat. I'm not sure. But... Uh, yeah, I I don't know, Carrie. Um I read so she believed in the living constitution. <clears throat> There's different okay. constitutional interpretations. There's different like strategies for constitutional interpretation. And she believed in the living constitution. And versus versus the uh well, uh there's like an originalist perspective like which is more strict constitution. So so basically the way to think of it is there's um the originalist perspective is, well, the words meant what they meant at the time. What did the founders intend by this? What does it mean? And that's how we interpret this, right? This is what did they mean by this? Um, the, I'll read the living, <laughs> the living constitution. So I, I asked my daughter, I read this. I asked my 11 year old daughter, who is also an atheist, by the way, which I know will upset people, but I, I read my, I asked my 11 year old daughter, does this sound like a religious belief? I'm just, this is from, uh, this is from Ballot, Ballotpedia, and it was in an article about RP, uh, RBG. I almost said RPG, totally different thing. Um, Ginsburg believed in a living constitution, a form of jurisprudence that believes the United States Constitution is a document that adapts to the times, taking on different meanings depending on when it is interpreted. Now, to me, that sounds like a cult who believes that the Constitution is a talisman that has magical power, and we interpret it however we want. It doesn't mean anything. It's just interpreted however we want. It just that the Constitution is just kind of this weird talisman. It's not. It's not a thing that we have to understand. We can interpret it however, however we want. And um, that makes me think of the way some people some people ch choose to look at the Bible. Yeah, well, and, and actually, it's weird, because on Friday, which I, I made the credits for our show on Friday before the show, obviously, before um, Ginsburg passed, but one of the things that I had, the computer that reads the, you know, the, at the end, the computer reads stuff, what the, the thing that the computer said, one of the comments that the computer said was, your constitution will remain intact, we just want your dictionary, and the, the reason I, I put that line in there is I had been thinking about this concept that... As long as you control the meaning of words and you can interpret anything however you want, mm -hmm. nothing else that's ever been written matters literally yes. at all. At all. Because you nothing just change the definitions. You yeah. just change the definitions of everything. And so That's amazing. It's a postmodernist. It it nightmare. is it is postmodernist. Yeah. So we, we don't need the the left doesn't need to change the constitution. They just need a belief system. Um, that allows them to change the meaning of all of the words in the Constitution. And this, you know, I hadn't, I'm not a big, 
uh, like judicial person. I don't study, I don't pay attention to the the, the judges and and that and interpreting the constitution and that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I I read a little bit more about this living constitution thing, and and one of the definitions talked about it being, well, you know, the constitution needs to be, it needs to work with other countries' constitutions now in the in the modern times. It we can't be isolated anymore. Like these kind of broad interpretations of things, and you know, when people say. When people, people often have, I, I guess now that, that SJWs have kind of taken over, people are more likely to not make this argument, but people kind of are like, well, the philosophy doesn't matter as much. They really get, they, they get into the details and, and the philosophy doesn't really, you know, how does philosophy really affect anything? This is how, this, this belief that a paper document with some words on it is living, and I get that's a metaphor, but let's really interpret it like what it's a metaphor for. It's living and that they can interpret it, it that the meaning changes based on when it's interpreted. That's that's postmodernism. <laughs> that's a postmodernist philosophy. That's that's a postmodernist view of the world. It's a non-objective view of of reality. And it's that's how philosophy matters. Because that crap, I guarantee. Well, I mean, Ginsburg may have known about postmodernism, but like I guarantee the people who go out, go forth in your lower courts and everywhere else that that adhere to the living constitution model, they may not understand where the philosophy comes from, but they've been taught the philosophy nonetheless, at least this core tenet, so that they can go out and justify interpreting, for example, the Second Amendment to mean anything other than what it very clearly says, Right. Um, right. So I, I, this, I don't know, this got me thinking about a whole bunch of stuff, which we can get into later, but, um, so do you uh, think that certain, cause it sounds good when you say the constitution needs to be interpreted based on the changing times. I, when you first does. hear that, it sounds good to a lot of people. Yes, it does because times change and, um, th there's this idea that you need to, um, keep up with modern society and, you know, how can you, for example, now, now I'll, I'll pick one, not everything in the constitution, because you're talking about principles, the principles of individualism well, and I equality. Mean, I, it's but, maybe but the give guns a specific issue. example for me. Okay. Let me give you a specific example. So the guns issue. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people on the left say when they, when they um, wrote the second amendment, mm -hmm. they didn't have the ability to see where we would be, we would be now, when it comes to firearms, like technology, where things are now, and so that we should, it should be interpreted based on we should we should look back and with the benefit of knowledge of knowing what kind of technology we have now, re-examine that one. For example, that's what they would say. Right, and and. The, the question is, how should it be interpreted? What did the founding fathers mean? Did they mean, given our current understanding of technology, people should be allowed to have these kind of guns, but if if phased rifles, plasma rifles get invented someday, they shouldn't? Like, I, right. that would be the argument you would have to make, that, that there was no capacity to imagine inventions. And by the way, uh, there were not handheld machine guns, but like there were very early on uh, designs of usually ship-mounted weapons that could rapid fire, like they, <laughs> their threats also had the same 
weapons, though, mm -hmm. right? They, like, the police and military had the exact same weapons. So, I mean, I, you can make an argument that the Founding Fathers were wrong about the Second Amendment. So, so the way I would make that argument on the left and be rational about it, I would have to, I would have to detach from principle, but I would have to say, look... Yeah, I get what they meant. They did mean that anyone could have the guns of the time and carry them around, and it was like, and it couldn't be infringed, which means even regulated a bit at all. You would have to start from there and say they did mean that much at least, and then you would have to say, okay, well, uh, they, but they could not have possibly foreseen that you would have semi-automatic guns or that you would have fully automatic guns, or you could have these things, and. And and they made they would not have had this rule because because they this wasn't a principled stance that they were taking this was just a very practical stance and if you realize that you know thirteen round capacity mags were going to exist someday they definitely would have not said the Second Amendment and and we need to change it would be the argument we need to change it then because uh, by the way you can change the Constitution it's not this is not a set in stone document so if it really is outdated you can change it. Uh, so you can, you can totally do that. But that's the argument you have to make. Um, you'd have to ignore the principle behind why the Second Amendment exists, which you could do, I guess. Um, but what you can't do is what they've said. Well, when they say well-regulated militia, what they mean is the National Guard. Like, no, that's not what they meant. <laughs> no. When, when, like, well, they, when they said they shall not be infringed, they didn't mean you couldn't regulate. No, they, that's what they meant. They meant you couldn't regulate it. Like, you can't. So when I see them interpret the Second Amendment, I see them look back and try and redefine things, not argue from a uh, ignorance perspective. Some of them argue from the ignorance perspective that the Founding Fathers were just wrong. Had they had they realized what weapons would become, they would not have written it that way, and they would have changed it so it should be changed. You can make that argument, but by and large, the arguments that I see are made are interpretive arguments. Like, well, they didn't mean this. Well-regulated militia doesn't mean you can do it, Carrie. Right. Okay. Right. Regulated so means I don't, regulations. So I don't want to get too far afield. I have maybe we could do another thing on the concept, another video in the constitution yeah, yeah, sometime because yeah, yeah. I have other questions. But I have a question about Ginsburg and and so the political drama that's unfolding now. As much yeah. as I try to avoid politics, um, it seems to me that it doesn't matter who the president is and whether they are of your party or the other party. I hate that we have this duopoly, but whatever. Um, it doesn't matter as long as they're president they can nominate someone to fill a vacant seat and that there should be a vote on that person. And that's true whether it's Obama nominating Merrick Garland or that's Trump nominating someone to fill this spot. And I think the people on the left who say that some, some of the people on the right are being hypocritical, like, uh, I guess, Mitch I guess McConnell. McConnell. Mm -hmm. Back during Mitch McConnell, back during um, when when Merrick Garland was nominated by Obama, said that the the sitting president shouldn't be the one to do this. That we're about to have an election and it should be the new president. And so now McConnell is probably taking the opposite stance, and that's totally sure. <laughs> yeah, that's completely hypocritical. <laughs> that means you don't put principles above your party. And I agree with the people on the left who say that. Mm -hmm. um, my question about what I, I wanted to know: Do you remember what happened with? Uh, Merrick Garland. I, I read an NPR article about today, but you know I don't trust the mainstream media as much as I used to, and I just wanted to understand what the process was. From what I understand, there was a Republican majority in Congress. So when when Obama nominated Garland, they did block him, right? They refused to bring it to a vote in the Senate Judiciary Committee. 
I think so, but I have not gone back and looked it up. Um, but I, I agree with you on McConnell. I mean, look, if I was a Republican or, or if I was a Democrat, either way, here's what I would say. Absolutely, the president has the right to do this because they don't, they're, they're still the president. But I don't like the guy the president's going to nominate, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, I'm going to vote against it because I don't like it. I'm waiting for the other guy. At least that's an honest thing. Like, yeah, he has honest. the right to do it, but I'm not going to. All right, that's fine. Um, although you might be interested, Carrie, to answer this yeah. question. Why don't we get out your Ouija board? Let's channel. Are we going to interpret it like we like we should interpret the Constitution? No. Actually, what we're going to do is we're just going to ask Ruth Bader Ginsburg what she thinks. What? <clears throat> when asked if the Senate should consider then-President Barack Obama's nominee, Merrick mm -hmm. Garland Ginsburg said that's their job. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the president stops being president in the last year. Okay, then. Thank you, RBG. Uh, RIP. <laughs> we'll just stick with that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, th I think... <clears throat> Here's the problem. Well, I mean, there's a lot... That... Sorry, I can't just say here's the problem. There's so many things. I just... Keith sent me this article from <clears throat> uh, the Mises Institute about... Uh, the Supreme Court, which I actually think is fascinating. I think a lot of people f believe that the Supreme Court is this. <clears throat> they believe that the way the Supreme Court works right now is constitutionally enshrined. Like, oh, that's the way the Supreme Court's supposed to work. Uh, the, the Constitution is just an agreement between states. The Supreme Court, as we as it exists today, it, it, there's nothing in the Constitution that supports it at all. It, like its existence in the form that it is today. At all. There's nothing that says there's nine jurors, the uh, judges. There's nothing that says there's this huge system. In fact, uh, let's just look. Here's where the Supreme Court is, is authorized by the Constitution of the United States. Article 3. This is the entire text authorizing the Constitution. That's it. That half a page. That's it. Uh, offering the Supreme Court. Authoring... The judicial power shall be vested in one Supreme Court. And basically it says this is for um, uh, stuff about ambassadors and like public, like, you know, federal, federal employees doing federal things. That's what it's for. And for controversies between two or more states, because that's what the Constitution was about. And citizens, bet like between citizens of other states. So like someone from Texas and California might have to appeal to federal courts. Um, because obviously within the states they don't, but there's nothing that says lifetime appointments. There's nothing that says nine people. There's nothing that says, uh, any of this has to like, there's nothing that gives them the jurisdiction that they have today. Judicial reviews, not here. There's not a thing that says they can do all this. Congress could basically abolish much of this Supreme court, the way it's run now and start over. Um, I, People feel like the Supreme Court is this apolitical body. And it's just, I mean, look at Kavanaugh. It's just not the case. It's not apolitical. Uh, and I, I, I would say to you, if you hired, to the conservatives out there who think that the court is going to, like the court's this check and balance that works well, that, that um, they're going to protect the Constitution. If you had a house and it had all of your most valuable possessions in it, and you hired a team of nine security experts to protect the contents of that house 
And they had performed as well as the Supreme Court has performed over the last 150 or 200 years. You would fire them by now. Your house would be mostly empty. Uh, people would have looted it. Half of it would be burned down. Um, it would be in a complete state of disarray. There'd be squatters. Uh, it's, it would be an absolute mess. And so turning back to this and saying like, well, we just need to replace one of those nine people because we've been doing that so much. It's going to actually work. I, I don't, I, I'm, I, I like that RBG is not going to be there anymore. I, I imagine I'll probably politically be more aligned with whomever Trump supports, which at this point I think is likely to be, um, what's her face? He said he was going to support a woman. Which I, I know you love that one. Uh, yeah, it's likely uh, to be Amy Barrett. What do you mean? I love that one. I'm I'm being facetious. I know you love when people are like, "I'm going to hire someone, and it will be a woman, or it will be a." I don't. Person. I don't love that. I'm I'm being facetious. Oh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know Sorry. you don't love it. Yes, I'm sorry for the sarcasm. <laughs> Just to be clear uh, in chat, everyone, she does not love it. I was joking. <laughs> uh, no, I think that that's political. I didn't hear that Trump had said that about picking a woman, but mm -hmm. I assumed that was that's what was going to happen immediately because that's good strategy. I mean, if you're playing chess, back when he nominated Kavanaugh, I was people were talking about they thought he was going to nominate Amy Amy Cohen uh, Barrett, and I was. And then when it was Kavanaugh, I was thinking, oh, he's saving the woman. He's going to keep her in his back pocket in case RBG's seat is va is vacant. Mm -hmm. And he's going to replace Ginsburg with another woman. Right. And that's a good tactical thing to do because it makes it it makes the opposition have to. Can you imagine if the Kavanaugh replacement is what was going to happen right now? That would be. It was already a circus. Well, it's going it to be, be a huge circus yeah. now. I mean, think about what we're doing. We're going into a contested election with only eight Supreme Court justices. Uh, I mean, let's assume the election will be contested. We're going to have eight Supreme Court justices, assuming that someone doesn't get confirmed by, no, you know, early November, uh, which even if they do, I mean, it's going to be Alyssa Milano is going to have a permanent seat in the back of the uh, in the back <laughs> of the Senate. I mean, this is going to be. Her resting bitch face is going to be all over CNN. <laughs> hey, at least, at least it's, we're bringing a woman into the. Yes. We're bringing Alyssa Milano into the debate. We're gonna have a woman there permanently. To <laughs> she's gonna be in the back, the scowling. <laughs> yeah, um, um, and she well, and somehow yeah. she will be describing how Amy Barrett Barrett is. Uh, not really a woman, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. But that tactically, that's a good move. And, it, you know, it, it makes total sense that he would save the woman to, to nominate when yeah. Ginsburg is gone. Um, but, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it when people say I'm going to pick someone. And it's going to be it's going to be this race or sex. Like, wh why pick the best person? Yeah. It's, it's so insulting to, to the person who's chosen, too. It's like, oh, I guess right. you picked the best woman. Right. Like, I just, I want to be the best. I don't want to be the best woman, you know? <laughs> I know. It's like I having know. a band and saying, I'm going to pick a bassist, and it's going to be the best female bassist I can find. <laughs> or right. the best, you know, the best female. Like, no, just pick the best. And that way that woman is in there, like, not thinking like, oh, you picked me because I'm the best woman in this position. No, because I'm the best, mf -er. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
know? I know. It's, I it, know. Does, it does no service to the person you choose to, to before you choose them to tell everyone you're picking from a reduced pool of people based right. on sex, race. Right. Oh, gross. Yeah, anyway. I, 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 I agree with you. It's pretty disgusting. But I understand why he does. I, I understand tactically why he's doing it. But um, the, the left hates Amy Barrett because um, they're worried about, first of all, she's a Catholic, and that makes them worried about abortion um, and Roe Ro v. Wade. But um, they, they, they really don't like that she, so the court, you got to keep in mind, the Supreme Court is like a big circle jerk. They just love themselves, and they don't like to overturn precedent. Um, because if the Supreme Court said it in the past, well, we wouldn't want to go against precedent. Um, as if like people who are older and more dead than you are more right by virtue of the fact that they're older and more dead. Um, but she writes, she wrote, um, she agrees with, quote, with those who say that a justice's duty is to the Constitution. So this, this they don't like. And that it is thus more legitimate for her to enforce her best understanding of the Constitution Rather than a precedent, she thinks clearly in conflict with it. So they don't yeah, like her I, specifically because she's. I agree she's, with that. Of course you do, because that's like, that's the, her job, kind of, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But they hate that because they like, they, they are worried they because like they precedent. like Roe versus Wade okay. as a precedent. So here's the problem I find with the Supreme Court. And I haven't read that article Keith sent you. Or The, the problem I find with the Supreme Court is that it often is is using precedent to create law. It, it, it's almost like Congress is so deadlocked all the time and getting nothing done, and they're not really, they're not creating law. They're looking to the Supreme Court to to create precedent, which then they they use that as law. And no, precedent is not as no. If precedent is doesn't agree with the Constitution or it's found to be incorrect, well, hey, that that we find that to be wrong, that ruling, and it doesn't line up with the Constitution. You go by the Constitution. Yeah, I, I, I don't... <clears throat> precedent is something that a lawyer can argue for when presenting a case, but something that yes. I don't believe a judge should ever consider. I believe judges yes. should be using their independent judgment to make the decision themselves. Precedent be damned. Um, now, I, I get that a lot of people don't agree with that, and lower judges should use precedent of upper judges, but I don't believe that at all. You're, you're in that job for your brain. You're supposed to be using your best reason and your best methods to try and figure out what's right, and you should do it yourself. And a lawyer can appeal to precedent to make sure that you're aware of the arguments of precedent, right? So if I were a lawyer in court, I would say, well, your honor, precedent set this blah, 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 blah. And as the judge, I'd be like, I better go read that crap because I'm, you know, like, <laughs> I want to make sure I understand the arguments that this person is making. And it's a way to reference arguments of judges who've gone before you that maybe uh, maybe you wouldn't have considered or a perspective you wouldn't have considered. But at the end of the day, you need to make your own judgment. I mean, if it's precedent, we can just write an algorithm. Like, this is not... Yeah. <laughs> we don't need your brain if it's just precedent. That's what they want, though. They want an algorithm. Look at what they're doing with Google. They're creating little social justice algorithms. Yeah. They would, I just they would love to have an algorithm. I, I honestly, the other thing I, I hate about the Supreme Court is I can't imagine a case. I, I not in, not a case. I the founding fathers. There's no way the founding fathers ever imagined a world in which the federal government had so much power that the question of whether a baker in Colorado had to bake a cake for one of his customers is something that a federal court would decide. 
I just that's a that's a ludicrous ludicrous thing. The Supreme Court had to decide about this. Um, so if that's not an indication that something is wrong, I, I don't know what is. Um, yeah. And so I like I, I get the idea. I get that a lot of people like the and I like the idea of a. I love the idea, by the way, just to be clear, I love the idea of an independent, objective body that's functioning as um, the, how do I want to say it, that's, that's strictly interpreting the constitution, con constitution and keeping the other bodies in check to make sure they don't do things that are, I love that idea. It just has nothing to do with what the Supreme Court is. But I love the idea. That's not yeah. anything about the Supreme that's Court. That's not what it's doing. No. I can you put up this image I just sent you? Um, this yeah. is a tweet from a blue check mark. Uh, it, it's one of the ones I mentioned where it's sort of just celebrating all the thousands of people that showed up at the Supreme Court, and it's got different pictures from it. And I just I had before we move off. I don't know if you plan on moving off this topic soon, but I, we I wanted to say something soon, else yeah. about it. Yeah, so I noticed somebody in the comments, most of the comments on this tweet were from um, people on the left who were talking about how beautiful this was and they're there in spirit and they hope all these thousands of people vote and they hope all these thousands of people burn it down if if, if Trump's reelected. Like, but, but I did see some questions from people from out of the country, from not in the U.S., who said, can somebody help me understand what is this kind of like worship that's going on for one of your judges? Like we don't have that here. And they we were didn't really, used to I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they were trolling. I think they were legitimately trying to understand. Yeah. And, and so how would you answer that question, Carter? What's going on with us? Yeah. To explain to someone from another country, why there, why are there thousands of people there? Because a Supreme court justice died. Oh, um, well, RBG is, uh, I think, two major reasons. One is she was, uh, she was the closest, most outspoken, ideologically aligned person on the Supreme Court with the vast majority of the radical leftists. Like, she was the, the most aligned with them ideologically. So and and she was an icon in the sense that she was. By the way, she wasn't the first. And some people I think actually think she was the first woman on, which which is not true. I think Sandra Day O'Connor, appointed by Reagan, was the first woman, if I recall. Um, but uh, she's she's she has a status just as like she actually had. You know, in in reality, she's old enough that she grew up in a time when she actually had a lot of overt sexism that she had to overcome in order to build her career. Um, if I recall, she lied at, at college. They, they were like questioning her about why she was uh, wanting a law degree. And she had to give an answer that was like to support my husband. So I'm more empathetic to my husband because he's getting a law degree. And like she like, <laughs> you know, she she had to she she definitely overcame a lot of sexism. Yeah. And so I think is rightly upheld as a feminist icon in the sense of yeah. um, her the 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 life that she lived and the way that she lived and how she got to where she did overcoming a lot of obstacles. I think that's a, those are valid things to admire about her. Um, yeah. I don't agree with, you know, she then kind of kept going with the feminism and pushed the wage gap myth and all this other kind of stuff uh, later and, and definitely went 
probably was all very far, always very far left, but like I don't agree with her positions. But she she she's a she was a she had hero status for those reasons, and she espoused the values of the left, so that was very important. But I think the other reason is uh, the Supreme Court can flip now. Like there's not this is a pivotal seat. Um, Trump has gotten to nominate so many people that because she'll be replaced, the left is freaking out about losing. Um, they've all recognized, look, she's had cancer four times. She's old. They all knew she was going to die at some point. They were all holding out hope that she would last past Trump. And so uh, this is also just like their last desperate cry for we need representation because they are really scared. They're really scared that the Supreme Court will uh, stop siding with them. I mean, I think, I don't know if it was Amy uh, Barrett or might have been uh, might have been Joan Larson, one of the other people on Trump's shortlist, the other women on Trump's shortlist, I don't remember who, but have said things like explicitly like, well, John Roberts went too far in, um, in, uh, in agreeing with Obamacare and it was actually unconstitutional. Like there's people who've said those things. And so they're worried that some of their sacred cows, like universal health care, are going to get struck down by a Supreme Court that's not packed with leftists. Um, so, right. and she's kind of one of the, she was probably the last, not, she's like the last very leftist holdout, or at least the oldest and most known, but also like Trump, was this the third nomination Trump's going to get? They're just, I think, yeah. I think it's a, it's a, it's a combination of her unique life and and positions and kind of what she actually did is a combination of her life and and her and specific specifically plus the broader context of where we are today and Trump derangement syndrome and everything else that's going on that you know they need heroes they created RBG as a hero in the past couple of years precisely because uh, they did. of Trump I mean Trump. I notice in all the cutesy kind of woke bookstores and stuff that I like to go to there's a whole brand that started around RBG. Yeah. Of oven mitts and and mugs and t-shirts and just a whole thing that started around her. Right. And and, and they are trying to get little girls like my daughter had to read an RBG book in her um, previous school a couple years ago. They're trying to they they want to hold RBG up as this icon for little girls. You're supposed to go become like her. She's great, blah blah blah. Um so yeah, there's they've totally they merged the hell out of it, and they <laughs> made a Hollywood movie and everything else. So, thank you for answering. I think I, I think I have another answer too. I think all yeah. of that's true. That was off the top of my I, head, by the way. I'm not yeah. married to it. <laughs> I think all that's true. I also think that I saw somebody say something to the effect of, "The smaller God gets, the bigger government becomes." Well, that's that's and, just a restatement of state theists, but yes. Yes. And so I think I think what you're seeing there is akin to something religious, uh, a religious kind of expression for people who, m many of whom probably don't participate in religions yep. that worship a deity, um, but they've substituted that human tendency to want to worship and to want to congregate and to want to have me put meaning in something bigger than yourself what's bigger than them has become politics or the supreme court yeah or you know all these political figures and so what you're witnessing there is something kind of religious in a, in a way i totally not just in a way absolutely i totally yeah. i totally agree with that and that that's why when i when i was looking at that um 
the living constitution kind of belief system. I ha- I knew about that in the past. Like I've I've known about that as a interpretation philosophy for a while. But it's the reason that I looked at it in like a religious light because I've been starting to come to this. You know, in the last several years, I started to use the term state theists, to, and I realized like, oh, atheists are they're not Christian. <laughs> And they're not Muslim or other recognizable religions, but they do have a religion, most of them. Um, I'll, I'm going to exclude myself from that and Keith and some other atheists I know who are in chat. But most of them have a religion, and that religion is the state. And so uh, it, and it, and it, comes, it comes straight, it comes with uh, like weird mystical ideas. It comes with interpret, it, different interpretations. It comes with hero worship and like making people into saints. Um, it comes with black and white thinking and with like, uh, vilifying the, you know, people on the other, the other side of the aisle, uh, in, in like, a making them evil. And, um, there's actually a lot of metaphor, like a lot of good evil metaphors that are used a lot. Uh, but fundamentally it, it's, it's about, we don't have religion to tell us what's good and and bad anymore and therefore we need the state to tell us what's to tell us and enforce it because god isn't enforcing it either right if you're religious you believe that even if evil is happening in the world you believe that ultimately there will be some restitution there'll be some reconciliation there'll be some justice universally that will happen god will eventually bring justice, maybe not in this life, but you bring, you believe that it will happen eventually, that justice will win. But if you're an atheist, again, I'm saying this as an atheist, if you're an atheist, then, then there's like this like, oh, well, uh, justice isn't going to happen uh, universally because of a God. Um, so what institution can we, can we, like, how do we make justice happen? We have to make it happen. How do we make it happen? Well, we need to, we need to own the state and we need to make sure that uh, justice is dictated through the state and and morality is I mean that's why we re- compared them to the religious right the religious white right wanted to use the power of the state to wield the morality that came from religion for them um, and the left now just wants to use the power of the state to wield morality in the same way it just doesn't come from religion it basically comes from their psychology <laughs> it's what they feel is right that's that's the difference but there's not Functionally, there's not much of a difference. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll put a link to the um, the Mises Institute article if anyone wants to to read it later about. I, I just I didn't know a lot about the Supreme Court. I hadn't read Article Three, which I did this morning. Um, it's just we just have this view of it that's just not correct. It's just not right. It's not. It's not accurate. It's not. It's not what how it was designed. Um, so. Carrie, how are you now, Carter? What? Well, can I? There's a couple other things I want to talk about. Um, yeah, but they're all related to a broader concept. Okay. And uh, that concept is justice, which I have over do, my bef- shoulder. Do Go you want to just get caught up? We only have a few super chats. Do you oh yes, yes. I forgot. Real fast, sorry. and then we'll. And also, we okay. should thank Little Ragamuffin who sent us a super chat, but it's not popping up on my screen. But I saw her send one earlier, and I don't know why it's not here. So. The first one I see is from Keith the Hat Guy. Do you want to Thank read it or do you, you want me to? I can't see it. I can't scroll up that far. Mm, okay. 
Uh, thank you, Keith. Keith says, the Constitution is a legal contract between the states. The words must be read using the 1787 definition. Yes. Is RBG's car purchase contract living? <laughs> right. I mean, you can imagine, like... I, I mean, I think a lot of guys argue that with their spouses. Hey, honey, our marital contract is a living document. I was just interpreting it at the bar in the way that the circumstances, uh, you, you know, warrant it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how that would work for your marriage, but you could try. <laughs> the deed to my house is a living document. Right. Yeah, it's a living document. Um, all right. Tatiana Fisk. Thank you, Tatiana. She says, the judicial branch was created to keep the legislative and executive branches in check and from infringing on our constitutional rights. They weren't meant to have the powers they do now. Yeah, and actually, even that little thing that you said is kind of the a little bit mytholo mythologizing it, um, which, because I believed that until I read Article 3, and then I was like, oh, it's really, it's really not exactly what I thought. Uh, but certainly they've gone well beyond what they were supposed to do. Um, Revelator 37 Thank you, Revelator, says, Reed and McConnell are both to blame for this current bloody mess. Rest in peace, RBG. In the name of Cain. I don't know what the last part is, but okay. Uh, Chicken Sith. Thank you, Chicken Sith. With Garland, good name. the Senate was, <laughs> uh, was opposite party to the president. Then the left lied and slandered Kavanaugh. Now the Senate and president are the same party. Uh, is David next? Yeah, so I think what I think what Chicken Sith is mentioning is trying to allude to there, or maybe maybe it's clear to everyone, but not me. I think what Chicken Sith is saying is the argument against Garland was that the party had switched against. So Obama was the president; he was a Democrat. The control the the control had switched. The control of the Senate had had just switched during the most recent election to the Republicans. And so their argument was, well, the power has just switched. We don't have to, we don't have to approve your nomination and we're going to wait until our guy's in office. We don't have to, because the tide is our way, I guess, is their argument. I don't know if that's a, doesn't sound super principled, but that sounds like their argument. Uh, the next one's David. Do you have that one? David. Yeah, I've got that one. Thank you, David. He says, hey, Carter, precedent is the basis of the common law system. The law isn't supposed to be built from the bench or even from the Congress, to be honest, but rather from individual judgments and precedent. Yes. So I get I actually I, I understand that. And I, I'm, I'm I get that for the common law. But if you're going to have a body whose job it is to interpret the Constitution, which is the. If not the intended job, but at, at least what we're saying about the um, the judiciary branch, if you're saying that they're a check and balance on the constitutionality of the behavior of the other branches, then precedent should not be relevant. Um, I think in common law, uh, you know, in disputes between people, precedent is fine. Like, I, I get that. But um, so I, I see the role for precedent there. I, I, you know, I know I was I'm bagging on precedent. And, and I, but in general, I am bagging on precedent if it's if it's used to counteract what a constitutional interpretation is. Um, um, Matthias is next. Matthias says, Amy Barrett is an old money establishment, big business, big government conservative. Her father is one of the oil magnates. Barbara Lagoa. Barbara Lagoa? I don't know who that is. Sorry. 
Oh, she she's is more one freedom. Of, uh, she's another one of Trump's potential nominees. Oh, she is. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, well, thank you. I didn't know that. I don't know a lot about Amy Barrett. Um, and I, I had never heard of Barbara before, so I'll look them both up. I, they must be the best from among the women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the ones I've got are Amy Barrett, Joan Larson, Britt Grant, Barbara Lagoa, and Allison E.I.D. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I'd. Uh, those are the ones to look up if you want to. Although we'll find out supposedly by the end of the week. So. What if um, they played with other types of identity the way they do? And he's like, you know, each day it's like teasing out who it's going to be. He's like, when he's like, I, I've, I've already got someone. I'll tell you, she's, she's going to be a woman. And people start speculating, right? And then the next day it's like, I've got an update. She's going to be a brunette. And everybody's like, ah! Oh! <laughs> um, the next day, she's going to have... Blue eyes. Ah, which, you know. She's between 5'4 like, and 5'7. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do we do that? Why do we do that? I just don't get it. You wouldn't do it with those other things. You wouldn't yeah. do it with hair color. You know what or... have been a, it, it, what he could do, which I don't think he'll do, but I, I think it would kind of be awesome. If actually he had a guy in mind and the guy just, like, right before he was nominated, identified as a woman <laughs> yes and trump was like there you go it's bob <laughs> it's bob because <laughs> the press really couldn't say they couldn't be like you said you were going to nominate a woman he could just be like i did i did what do you, what do you mean are you questioning bob's <laughs> gender are you questioning it <laughs> it's so stupid anyway just tell us who it is. Don't tell us about their physical. <laughs> and they're they're taller than five feet and less than six. They like feet. long walks wow. on beaches. Uh, long walks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a game show. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you want to do the next one? Uh, I don't see the next one. You do it. Uh, the next one is Richard Petz. Thank you, Richard. He says greetings, Carter and Carrie. Take cover, incoming RPG. I know. I keep saying RPG. I know it's RBG. I apologize. Oh. My mouth is slower than my brain. And uh, I keep saying R- RPG. The Opinionated One, thank you, The Opinionated One, says, the Dems think appealing to precedent will go their way, but they don't realize that the Republicans have actively admitted they want revenge for Kavanaugh. Okay. This is going to be a shit show. This, this... It is going to be... As if, as if this um, year couldn't get any more, become more, any more of a circus. This is, it, it feels, we're living in a dystopian novel. But, um, by yeah. the way, uh, VP has another one, says, both uh, Lagoa and Barrett have gone through their confirmation hearings, would be just a matter of Senate vote. That's interesting. So it could be fast, is what you're saying. Because uh, they were just appointed, I guess, recently to an- another federal judge position. So, by the way, did you see someone in the chat? By the way, I saw said he could nominate Blair White. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I don't know what they would do about that. Um, did you see that the left was suggesting that maybe they should nominate uh, Michelle Obama? I love how they take these people and just like make them into these heroes for like none of there's no real measurable accomplishments in the field but they just like them a lot so they try and michelle obama 
has, she's not a judge. Has done what related to is, being a judge? Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <sighs> who knows? So, all right. Oh, one last one from Andrew Joyner, who just gives us two bucks. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Gives us a sticker. <clears throat> so, yeah. Okay, I think we're through. We're through them. I no, I wanted to talk about justice generally because um, there's two things that made me think about justice as a concept. I know this is a little bit rambly, and I'm sorry, but there's you can interrupt me and yell at me, Carrie. Uh, please, please feel free. Don't let me ramble too much. There's there's two things that made me think of it. One is this whole Supreme Court crap, um, and the other thing is the Jake Gardner suicide, uh, which we can talk about. And um, you know, I know, I know we've made quips before that like when you add the word when you add an adjective to a word like the purpose is to undermine the meaning of that word so when you add social to justice you are like undermining justice that's yeah. the purpose of adding social to justice um and that has real consequences and uh one of the things that really struck me is in order for a society to I forget where I was reading about this, so I apologize. I can't cite it, but this some book somewhere. Um, you know, I've, I've been reading a little bit about fall of civilizations and what makes civilization stable and that kind of thing, because obviously I'm a little bit worried about where what we're doing now. And for a society to be stable, you need the populace to have some sort of confidence in the system of justice. They need to believe that the laws, not all the cases, but in general, laws will be justly enforced and will kind of be there to um, there to protect them from aggressors. In general, in general, there's always corruption. There's always there's always not you know you know bad. There's always bad examples, uh, and there's and there's societies who exist for a little while un, under pretty unjust rulers, um, but. You know, fundamentally, I know the progressives think of government as more of a, like, government is there to do a bunch of take care of you things. But fundamentally, government, before, without even arguing whether government should take care of you, we can leave that, put that issue aside. Before it can take care of you, the fundamental jobs of government have to be done. They have to, they have to be able to um, respond justly by to the initiation of the use of force by protecting individual rights. There has to be some, like, you know, without a government, the, the argument against voluntarists and people who want a voluntary society, the argument is always, well, what would you do if someone stole your blankety blank or if they murdered your brother, right? We don't want to have a world where you round up your kin and go after them and, you know, have your own, quote, trial and string them up because you're getting revenge. We don't want a world with thugs doing all that stuff, right? We need to have, this is the argument, we need to have some sort of objective system and you're supposed to give up your right to revenge and extracting justice on your own and grant it to the state and say, well, I'm not going to round up my kin and go after the guy who I believe killed my brother. I, instead, I'm going to go to the police and they're going to go get him and there's going to be a process and it's going to be innocent until proven guilty and there's going to be some some objectivity here that's going to prevent this kind of uh, rule by by thugs. That's the argument for right. the state. That's the fundamental right. argument for the state, aside from anything else you might want the state to do. But if you're in a society in which people don't believe that the state is doing that, rather they believe that the state is empowering thugs, 
that can't last um, because you've undermined the very purpose of the government. And people, I don't think people will let that last for very long. Um, they're not going to continue to comply with a system that they believe uh, does not serve justice in any way or is even trying to serve justice in any way. And that brought, that's what I was thinking about when I thought about the Jake Gardner case. Did you, did you hear about what happened to Jake Gardner yesterday? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, my fellow was reading me some stuff about it this morning. It really way, it really hurt my heart because I watched a video of him mm -hmm. from a Trump rally and he just comes off as so even kill even keel and like a, he just comes off as a good guy he's not he's a trump voter but he's not uh, in the video he's not um overly tribal or condescending he even they even ask him in the video do you think people who criticize trump have some good points and he said yeah of course and he starts talking about some of those points i mean he's just very even-handed and and, and and he explicitly was saying the protesters certainly have a right to protest. I support their right yeah. to protest. All that. Yeah. Now, he was not a case that we talked about. We've talked about some of these self-defense-related cases, but he was not one that we talked about. So can we just really quickly back? I think it was back in June. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think it was back in June. He was the uh, bar owner. He owned, uh, I think it was called The Hive. And um, there were Brianna. This was in Omaha, Nebraska. Sorry. Yeah. In Omaha. And there, were, I think it was a Breonna Taylor protest. <clears throat> and basically, some people on the street, part of the protest, they took some... Uh, so he, he owned this bar. Some people on the street took some of the street signs and bashed through the bar's window, and there was some violence happening. And his dad went outside um, to confront them in some way. And his dad ended up getting... Someone runs by in the video. You, this is on video, by the way. This isn't... You can you can see it so there's not speculation here someone runs by and like shoves his dad pretty hard his dad like goes flying back on his back i think almost off his feet um and and so the son the bar owner runs he runs out he runs down and and um he starts confronting these people but he's just talking to them now this guy jack uh gardner is a he's white he's a former marine um and he's talking to these guys and he's not there's no indication that he used any racial slurs there's not that's not there's no evidence of that. There is sound in some of the videos. Um, there's no in indication of any racial slurs or anything. And he, they start kind of encroaching on him, and he's kind of like, back up, back off, back off. And like he's walking away. He does show that he's armed because he happens to be carrying a weapon. He shows that he's armed, but he's telling them, back off, back off, back off. And he starts backing up, trying to, you know, extract himself from the situation because they're closing in on him. Um, and eventually, a couple guys jump on him, take him to the ground. And he struggles with them. He fires two shots, both of which miss. Uh, I, I've heard them described as warning shots. I doubt that they were warning shots, but I don't know. <laughs> but whatever. He's He struggles them. He he gets them off of himself. He's like in a puddle. They like get him in this like puddle uh, in the street, in the gutter. And he's getting up with his back to the sidewalk, having just like gotten these guys off of him, neither of which, neither of which were shot. Um, he, he's just getting up and, uh, a black guy, James Skurlock comes running from behind him and jumps on his back, bringing him back to the ground again and puts him in a chokehold. Um, and so he's struggling in a chokehold on the ground and he takes his gun, which was in his right hand, switches it to his left hand, puts it behind his head and shoots and hits, uh, James Skurlock in the clavicle. Skurlock eventually dies from his wounds. Um, 
And originally he was not facing any charges. The, the DA looked at this. The DA actually went through the evidence. It had a public press conference where the DA played the videos, explained this was clearly self-defense, right? We're not even gonna press charges, um, which I guess is probably why <laughs> no one thought, they just thought it would go away. Like, okay, I guess that's over. It was self-defense. Yeah. Done. Um, but then because of the mob, because of social media, he, you know, he, of course, he was called the white supremacist, blah, 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 because he shot the poor black guy that I guess he was supposed to let choke him to death in a puddle. Um, and um, they decided to convene a grand jury. And the grand jury rejected the claims that he acted in self-defense and charged him with four felonies. Manslaughter, attempted first-degree assault, making terroristic threats, and weapon use. And if convicted, uh, he could have faced 95 years in prison. So this is a this is a guy. So by the way, also um, the landlord after this event, the landlord yanked his lease because um, the landlord was like, "Well, I don't want any more incidents and blah blah blah." So so the guy lost his business, and now he's facing uh, these four felonies, and he was supposed to turn himself in. Now he had he had gone to Portland, I think. And um, he was supposed to, the day he was supposed to turn himself in, which I think was yesterday, uh, he killed himself. Um, and, um, you know, he was 38. Uh, to me, this is, uh, this is a kind of tragedy that we're going to see more of. Um, and this is what happens when you, this is what happens when you let <clears throat> this insanity rule and you don't say anything against it. And look, even if he had, you know, people will say, well, he should have stood up and fight, fought. Maybe, but you, I'm not going to judge a guy who makes his own decision about what he should and should have done. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I sympathize. I get, I get the upset. I mean, losing your... He lost his livelihood. He lost his businesses. I mean, and like, that's a huge, it, that's a huge deal. And it's devastating. And he probably looked out and he probably saw a world in which there was no justice. There was only social justice. There was no actual justice. There was just social justice as determined by, by the way, social justice is kind of a double entendre at this point because it's also social media justice. There's just social justice. Justice determined by left-wing Marxists running rampant on social media, calling him white supremacist and all these things. And uh, I'm sure he felt powerless. I'm sure he probably felt alone. And he probably felt like there was little chance that he could beat these charges. And even if he did, it would, it would ruin his life for the next several years and probably and, and, and permanently alter the trajectory of his life. Um, this is this <laughs> is the me. caring that comes from the left that this is what happens um sorry go, go ahead carrie well somebody in chat i haven't verified this i was just looking it up somebody in chat i just saw it scroll by say that they pulled his gofundme account also oh probably gofundme always to raise those. they pulled kyle's yeah uh but they they don't pull I mean, they allow GoFundMe's to stay up for yeah. Antifa. Right. Right. This is what it looks like when, and this is why, 
this is why this is a this, this is why culture becomes comes before politics uh this is what happens when you are in an absolutely vile culture it doesn't matter what the rules are they will find a way to ruin your life and turn you suicidal if they want to um and it doesn't mean everyone will kill themselves but like they will plant that seed they will try and they they will be able to destroy your life without help from the government um and it it's to me it's pretty depressing because it's a it's a sign of the times it's a sign of it's a sign of where we are culturally um and 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 by the way <clears throat> that plays right into like you know um William Barr announced Portland, Seattle, and New York were were jurisdictions that what what's the word he uses? Uh, I want to get his language right. He he issued a, a statement saying um, that those three cities uh, were permitting violence and destruction of property and is threatening to and and he says permitting anarchy and the destruction violence and destruction in American cities and uh, considering holding withholding federal funds. Uh, I just, um, I don't know how we come out of this. Our kids are being indoctrinated into all this crap. Uh, it's still happening. You know, I've got another story we can talk about about that later, but it's just, we're surrounded by zombies who are trying to eat your brains almost. It's not literal, but it's close. Well, I do believe we come out of it, and I, I wanted to say anyone who is contemplating an action like that, taking their own life, you know, f- reach out to someone. Because I was one of the things I was thinking about when I read about him or was like, God, I wish he had found a community. I wish he had found us. I don't know our yeah, community would have supported him. Yeah. Yeah, a, a community like us or something. I wish he'd found a group of wrong thinkers to be there for him and listen cuz I know we have small business owners in our Telegram channel who've shared advice and support and people who and not just small business owners, people who are in losing their jobs or have threat of losing their jobs and um just having somebody who understands and not having to explain it to the woke around you, you know. If you're in a especially if you're in a woke community being able to find rational people um, is, is priceless. So, yeah. um, by the way, anyway. I'm not saying that I'm discouraged, like we'll never it's come out of it. It's just that like, yep. there's going to be more innocent death. There's going to be more innocent people yeah. getting their lives destroyed. And, yeah. um, I don't know. The left talks about empathy all the time. They're always talking about empathy, 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 empathy. I care so much. I, I'm an actress and I care so much. I don't, don't you care about these people? Don't you care about this guy? No, Carter, one of the things that started to wake me up, I know we've talked about my story several times, but there's one part of it that I haven't mentioned that, that often in the retelling. And that was after Trump won, I saw a number, not just one, I saw a number of articles written in my social justice echo chamber in, uh, that were in defense of not having empathy for Trump voters. These were the headlines. I know. Don't basically don't, telling people don't have empathy for Trump voters. Try not to. Ha- and that's one of the things that stuck out to me, like a flashing light. Something's wrong here. Why are you telling me not to have empathy? For people you know, who I find empathy. people with empathy don't talk about it so much. 
Um, yeah. You don't broadcast your empathy all the time. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, we'll release the interview with Brett Weinstein soon as well, actually. But one of the things that he said, which is, he put it brilliantly, um, and it's been something, that, a point I've been trying to make, but he said it way better, um, was, uh, and now I'm going to butcher it anyway, it's a paraphrase, but, you know, he made the point that, look, true empathy requires objectivity. If you want to deal with the problems that people face, um, if you're empathetic and you want to actually fix the problems that people face, you have to go in by putting that empathy aside and being objective about what the facts are and reality is. Only then can you make a, a decision based on empathy about how to proceed. You can't go in evaluating everything with your feelings playing a part of your analysis. Your analysis has to be objective because reality is objective. Reality doesn't have feelings. You need to know the truth and the truth doesn't have feelings associated with it. It's just got fact. You need to figure out what the data is, figure yeah. out what the truth is, and then you can use that from a place to do the good that you're wanting to do in the world. But too often we've got people who go in and they are, I mean, talk about science deniers. They're, they're internal science deniers. They refuse to do the scientific thing in their own head, which is put your emotions aside and do your best to be objective about analyzing the facts and looking at the long-term consequences of what you're going to do and, and looking at all the data and making a rational, emotionless uh, model of the world before then bringing in your empathy and figuring out how to do anything. That's, I mean... That's denying science. It's saying that I'm, I'm just going to go in and whatever feels good in the moment, this policy feels good. Shouting this feels good. Tweeting out that Jake Gardner is a white supremacist and sending him death threat threats feels good. Um, yeah. That doesn't make you empathetic. That makes you a mockery of empathy. And the left is a they are they are mockeries of empathy. They're the empathy demons who espouse yeah. empathy but are actually here to destroy it. I, you you just made me think of something, um, and this is an excellent example of people be, being so concerned with virtue signaling their empathy that they let the, they let that show that show of empathy, the theater, the production, the signal of empathy, get in the way of actual empathy. Um, and this came from a friend shared this. Um, so Jama on Twitter, J A M A underscore current. JAMA is an international peer-reviewed general medical journal. Okay, so they published a study done. And this is what their tweet said. Given the essential role of TMPRSS2 in SARS-CoV-2, basically talking about COVID. So given the role of this in, in COVID spread, I'm going to try and put this in layman's terms if I can. Higher nasal expression of TMPRSS2 may contribute to the higher burden of COVID-19 among black individuals. So what this study is about is about this, your nostril size and if nostril size has any impact on a higher rate of COVID transmission. And immediately there were all these blue check marks, the intellectual left, guess what they said in response to this new study. Um, was there, wait, wait, I'm sure their argument was really eloquent and began with an R. <laughs> racist yes racist um and a lot of these are white women of course uh it's 2020 this is unacceptable race is a social not a biological construct 
<laughs> okay. Uh, why are you spending time and money on these studies instead of spending time and money on fighting racism? Uh, by the way, by the way, the left also started sharing articles that white people were transmitting COVID more than black people. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see that, but oh, let me yeah, just there were there were the opposite but, but, articles that which were fine to oh, share. That were fine to share. Okay, <laughs> so so basically, there the intellectual left comes in and has to. They have, in, in response to this article, they have to show their empathy. They're making a display of empathy. They're saying you should not be studying this or asking this question because we are so because it we we have to demonstrate we're empathetic and we think this question is racist and we think there's no biological differences between race. So uh, here's a third one: attributing genetic variants to race, which is a social construct, is racist. Stop it. Um, here's a four, which is, I'm almost done. Irresponsible studies such as this have the potential to lead to the rounding up and mass execution of black people in the name of public health because of a study about nostril size and whether that's leading to higher rates. Oh, damn. We were right about um, to do that. It's a good thing they stopped because that's what I wow. was going to do with the study. Wow. This publication is frightening. So it goes on. Uh, do you have someone on your editorial board who studies racism in medicine or has a background in critical race theory? Repeating publishing articles that use race as biology seems to indicate you could use more expertise. Now, this is these are all comments on a medical journal. Now, I just want to show you these are the authors of the study that they're criticizing. Can you see that? <laughs> um, I think they're all I, people of color. No, 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 no. They look <laughs> like the wrong color. They're they're the ones that we don't see. They're the color that's the unmentionable color. Well, no, there's a black woman, oh, there there's black an woman. Asian okay. woman, and there is a guy that looks to be Latino. Um, oh, okay. These are three people Asian of color. They Asian from your phone, I couldn't tell. Yeah, <laughs> so three people of color, including a black woman. These are the authors. And what are all the white SJWs saying in the comments? How dare you do such a racist study? How dare you? Now, I don't. I haven't read the study yet. I just saw my friend highlighted this crazy religious-like response to it. But what your point you're making, Carter, you made me think of this because it, it's it's almost like, what if there is a correlation between what if what if this study helps you to un, helps us to understand why there's higher rates of COVID in the black community that would help black people to know that answer. Mm, but you're not might. allowed to study it. So you're not allowed to have real empathy and try to help people because your phony empathy, your show empathy, your fake empathy, your putting on your tap show of empathy is more important. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's more important to, to put on the show. And by the way, this race is a social construct crap. Our interview with Charles Murray will go into this and we'll probably talk about it in book club this weekend for those of you who want to join. But um, really briefly, like, yes, the word race when it was used originally, did not come from science. Uh, it was just used to describe people that look different from us or whatever, and that was the that was the thing. However, however, uh, if you take genes and you and you <laughs> and you throw them into regression analysis and you ask it to do, or sorry, um, uh, group analysis, you try and you say there's three, there's two groups, there's four groups, there's five groups, however number you choose. And you have you see cluster analysis. That's what it's called. Do the do the genes cluster? Guess what? They cluster along racial lines, basically. <laughs> so it's like, oh, uh, here are the Caucasians. Here's the Asians. Here's the Sub-Saharan Africans. Uh, 
here's the oceanic, the Australians, right? They, they, they cluster. And depending on how many clusters you tell the, the algorithms to look through, they start to break down a little bit more, differentiating, you know, East Asians from other Asians. Like, it's all... And, and so Charles Murray is using the term ancestral populations because it's more technically correct than race. But don't, get, don't fall into this trap that race is a social construct and has nothing to do with genetics. Just look at anyone that you know um, from other races. Look at other races. There are clearly genetic differences. The extent right. of what they are is probably not totally understood. Um, morally, those genetic differences shouldn't matter. We should all agree on that, right? But uh, <laughs> saying like, this study's racist because black people don't have different nose sizes because black is a racial racial or, or sorry, black black is a social construct. Race is a social construct. Uh, that's just false. It's just false. Right. It's not true. It's just false. And by the way, somebody, uh, chat was moving fast, but I saw somebody say not all black people have big nostrils. Well, yeah, duh. Of course. Did not all Chinese people are do? short. But Yeah, not all Chinese people. Duh. <laughs> Sorry. I don't Again, to, whenever I don't you say to, I'm not, not trying to. Yeah. Wait, wait, I'm not trying to put down that person. It's just... No, 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 just, I get it. I get it. I, yeah, I, you're it, saying something you didn't say. No, no, I get <laughs> or it. That, there, there's just... For those of you who haven't heard this before, one count... like Statistics doesn't work that way. It doesn't work with, like... When you say, uh, um, I don't know, Chinese people are shorter than Sub-Saharan Africans, you don't say, well, Yao Ming... That's not a, it doesn't mean all Chinese people are all shorter than all Africans. <laughs> it means on average, these are the differences between on the average. groups and then there's individual variation and blah, blah, blah. And you can have Yao Ming and short, you know, and Spud Webb. There's two NBA. There's a throwback member, Spud Webb. Um, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, look, don't, don't fall for this crap. Um, don't fall for this crap that is a social contract because it's said as if it's fact. It's said as if. I'm just educating you. That's that's just a social construct. <laughs> Somebody in chat says, hang on, does that mean I don't have a huge penis? <laughs> 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 someone said Sorry. ethnicity is way more useful. Ethnicity isn't really the right word either. That that's why that's why if you really want to be, if you want to be specific, you can use the term ancestral populations, but I don't think you need to. I think you can use race or ethnicity. And if someone argues back, you say, well, I'm using race to mean ancestral population. That's how I'm using it or ethnicity or whatever. Um, maybe if you use ethnicity, you might get around the accusation that ethnicity is a social construct, but I doubt it. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <sighs> um, and somebody and Jen pointed out that that comment we read was probably being critical of of the people who would say that the study's racist. That they're pointing out that not all black people have large nostrils. I mean, duh. Right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty. That's pretty obvious. By the way, speaking <clears throat> of nostrils, I didn't know this. You know how in the West, uh, a lot of people are like you know, there's the Michael Jackson syndrome. Like I got to get nose surgery and make it small and cute and whatever. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. It turns out I didn't realize this. In China, people get nose surgery to make bigger noses. They want bigger noses. Oh, yeah. Who, who'd have thought? That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm. So I'm gonna be. I'm gonna move to China and be very popular. <laughs> With your big old nose. Got a big old nose. <laughs> it's very attractive, apparently. 
<laughs> Who's fault? Who knew? Who knew? All right, let's do some super chat. Want to do some super chats for a minute? Yes, but put put it at the screen just on you because I have to take a bathroom break. Oh, okay. I'll be right back. All right. I'll listen though. Okay. Um. All right. Let's see the next one. Tatiana Fisk. Thank you, Tatiana. Tatiana says, "Be wary when someone says there ought to be a law." Well, music to my ears, Tatiana. Yes, be wary. <laughs> uh, Joy Hartford, or sorry, Hafford. Joy uh, gives us five bucks. No comment. Thank you, Joy. Richard Pets. Thank you, Richard. Richard says, <clears throat> "WC quote, you have enemies. Good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life." Yeah, I was on. Yeah, I, I love that quote. Um, I've heard it before, but I. <clears throat> I remember before I heard that quote, I actually ended up, I wrote an article a long time ago called In Defense of Enemies. I think it was for Capitalism Magazine. Um, but I, I came to a similar conclusion that was like, you should have enemies in your life because if you don't, it's a really bad sign. It's a bad sign. If everyone just likes you, um, it's a really bad sign. It probably means you stand for nothing at all. Uh, because if you stand for something, there's because there's definitely bad people in the world who stand for bad things. So they should not like you. All right. Uh, B. Allen. Thank you, B. Allen. Minneapolis City Council's explanation for the rise in crime. The police aren't doing their job. The citizens elected these people. Oh, yeah. I think also, haven't they defunded? They like defunded the police and now are upset or are defunding the police or whatever. And now uh, they're perplexed about the rise in crime. It's still the police's fault, though. It's always the police's fault. Um, Timothy, <clears throat> Timothy Peltak. Thank you, Timothy. I don't, I don't recognize that name before. Maybe, maybe you haven't been here. Welcome if you're new. Trump should identify as female. Either they accept and he's first female president or they reject and it dismantles gender theory. Yes, that, that's been Carrie's plan. She's been trying to whisper in his ear to get him to do that, but he has, he's not responding yet. <laughs> but I, we do think that would be a good idea. Uh, he could do it. He could do it theoretically right before he leaves office on his last last day uh, so he can claim he was the first female president. I think it would be better if he did it right before the next election, um, like literally like 10 minutes before the next election or something. Uh, another one from Joy Hafford. Thank you, Joy. She's got money to burn today. Thank you. And let's see. Might, I might be the end. Awesome. I have I have reached the end. So the next the next thing. Oh, someone just sorry. Dion uh, Bram in, in chat just said a quote that I like. I don't I don't know where it comes from, but I maybe Dion wrote it himself. If you don't stand for something or herself, I'm not sure. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. That's uh that's a good way to put it. So I want to talk about. One other thing related actually to Minnesota um, and related to indoctrination of children because it's pretty disturbing to me. Um, I th I've mentioned before that my daughter's doing a private school, but she's doing it um, from Zoom right now because of COVID, so she's not even there. And, uh, and she's always bringing me stories. And, and uh, in fact, today, even she, her teacher said something about men and women. And 
she, my daughter paused and looked at me and said, at least she didn't say they were non-binary because she can see all the, the crap that's happening. Um, but let's talk about this movement. It's called Good Trouble Principles. Uh, oh, Carrie's back. Hey, Carrie. Uh, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I was just about to talk about Good Trouble Principles. Have you seen this? No. All right. You'll, I'm sure you'll, you'll just love it. From your daughter's school? No, no. This is from uh, Minneapolis. Uh, Minnesota, actually, just generally. So this is an organization that's getting some... There's 162 principals that have signed up for this thing um, in the state of Minnesota. Now, I think there's about 2,000 schools in Minnesota, so it's like, I don't know, 7%, a little less than 7%. Okay. <clears throat> Making good trouble in education. Standing up for students of color. Who we are. So this is obviously basically going to be just a racist uh, organization. Um, and let's just look at some of the principles. Obviously, they're going to start with more equitable. When you see the equitable, that means equity, which is the equality of outcomes. Uh, the assumption being that outcomes aren't equal, then there must be systemic racism. And they view uh, education as a transformative social force. Now, I don't want to quibble with words, but education, <laughs> education should be about... If, if someone says, what's your view of education, I could see a few different views that would make sense, but they would, they would both, they would all be centered around teaching children something. Uh, they should learn how to think. They should learn the three R's. They should learn principles of whatever, something. Uh, but no, they view education as a transformative social force, which basically means the goal is to transform society. And education is a tool. That's what education is. Uh, if that doesn't uh, sound like indoctrination to you, um, I really don't know how that can be more clear. The, the goal is, that, to, is to be that. Well, go ahead. That, it, for anyone who has, is not familiar with Jonathan Haidt, we read his most recent book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind and Book Club, which is an excellent book if you're trying to understand, especially if you're a parent and you have kids or if you're a teacher and you're trying to understand what this kind of woke religion is that's infiltrating schools. He's got an earlier book that's one of my favorite books. We refer to it a lot. It's called The Righteous Mind. And Jonathan Haidt is on the left. He's, he's a professor and he talks about this orthodoxy on, he primarily talks about it on college campuses. But one of the things he I got to see him do a lecture once, and he's spoken about this before. He talked about the two different ways of viewing education. The way that he describes it is, is you can take the Marx point of view, which is that education is supposed to turn people into activists. That the purpose of education is to turn people, to change the world, to turn people into activists and to get them out into the world to do something, to change the world for a particular worldview. And the other way of looking at education, the way which he supports, which he, he, he sets the Marx view against the John Stuart Mill, Mill view, which is to be familiar not only with your own point of view and your own arguments, but to be thoroughly familiar with and understand opposing points of views and be able to articulate those points of views. 
and and that the the John Stuart Mill uh, um, way of looking at education, at least in the way Jonathan Haidt talks about it, is a pursuit of truth. That the purpose of education is to help you pursue truth wherever that leads. It's not to give you an ideological framework that already has the outcome built into it. You know, so you can't find truth if you're be, being given this ideology. There's no there's no room to search for truth because you're being it's like a religion. This is the orthodoxy. You will believe we're going to turn you into an into an activist for this ideology and send you out into the world. That's the Marx view. So you just made me think of that for anybody interested in this. I would definitely suggest look up Jonathan Haidt and look at the way he talks about um, the Marx view versus the John Stuart Mill view about education. Yeah. And I think and and Haidt was specifically referring to colleges um, where you are supposed to be yes. confronted with multiple worldviews and and you know I, I think it's I think it's maybe even more true or true on a different level for elementary school, right? Which is you don't even have the tools to be thinking. Like you need to be taught some basic tools at this level, right? Um but they're not they're not bothering doing the basic tools. Um they, they just want to they view schools as they view schools basically as activist factories, right? Yeah. Which is crazy. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. is that is that what you view school as? Is that why, for those of you who support public education, is your argument that we need activists? Is, is school an activist factory? And by the way, that's, that's something that has changed in my short time on this earth. As much as I've hated government schools forever, I don't remember them explicitly being activist factories. Um, that has changed. They are explicit activist factories now. Yes, and I, and in my experience, I know this is anecdotal, but that's what that's what Duke University was for me. It turned me into a social justice activist. Right. And now they're they're but they're even making it explicit and doing it in elementary school. So okay. Yeah. So what does it mean to be good trouble? So good trouble is a reference to um, the late Senator John Lewis. Um, in with respect to civil rights stuff we don't have to get into that but that's the reference um and so we can go over their statement their statement these are principles so all 162 of these principles um listed below uh have signed on to support this statement now by the way this is just principles you've got to assume that there's a lot of teachers who are at schools whose principles haven't signed this and if you're at a school where a principal has signed this, you will kind of be forced to fall in line with this. And I don't think there's a counter organization that's like the non-woke principals with some list of signatures. So, all right, let's just look. I'm not going to read all of the, the whole statement, but they start this statement. This is really, uh, I've talked to this about this before, how they catastrophize everything. They make everything needs to be like a catastrophe to spur you to action because they're trying to create activists. So they talk about the four children killed in the bombing in Birmingham, Alabama during the civil rights movement. And then they say, the girls were black, the bombers were white, the message was clear. Your fight for educational equality will result in death, okay? As we write today, 57 years later, we were today to say the fight for educational equality rages on. They're comparing their fight today to an environment in which people were literally murdered for being the wrong color. 
I, to me, and I don't know if this doesn't bother you at all, Carrie, but to me, that it, no, it, it trivializes me so the death much. of those girls. It trivializes the that racist bombing. That they do this a lot. They take they take um, awful, horrible, racist atrocities from the past, and then they minimize them. And try to say things are like that things are just as bad today. And and that minimizes those things. They do the same thing with the, this is why I don't like, obviously, I, I don't like that they call everyone who disagrees with social justice ideology a white supremacist. They even call black people and Latino people white supremacists. Somebody called Beverly a white supremacist, or they said she didn't care about marginalized people. They do that to anyone who doesn't agree with this ideology. And, and I, there's a lot of reasons I don't like that. Of course, one is that it's not true, but... Secondly, it's because it min it minimizes white supremacy to do that, and it makes it harder to actually fight white supremacy if it if and when you see it crop up again, because now you've 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 made that word mean nothing. Right. And so, yeah, this really bothers me. You're minimizing the death of those girls. I think so, and I know why they're doing it. They're doing it to to gin up your excitement, to make you feel like this is a the life and death crisis, and it's just as important. And, you know, the honest approach to this would be to say we had a history of very horrible racism, but, and things have improved, but we're not quite done. There's a few things that need to be worked on still. That would be fine. Um, and I might disagree uh, about what those are and how they should be worked on, but at least that's that's correct. But instead what they're doing is they're saying, we're still in the same battle that we were in when people were bombing children. I I think I don't want to go out on a limb here, but I think that's a little bit hyperbolic. Uh, yeah. Okay. And 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 just real quick, I'll uh, Dion. This is not a super chat, but I saw it. She probably because she highlighted my name. But Dion says Douglas Murray talks about this, and I I did hear him talking about this in his recent interview on Joe Rogan. She says, Douglas Murray likes to compare them to St. George slaying dragons. And when the dragons are gone, he has to go after smaller and smaller things to slay. Yeah, that's true. And they have to pretend these things are dragons. Right. And, and you know, it, it's just, it's minimizing. It's minimizing these horrible things in our, in our past, these awful um, racist murders. And it, I don't think that's a good thing. I think, I think... <laughs> I think that sets you up to see more of those horrible things start to happen because now you've you've laid you've said all of these things are equal, you know, and they're not. Right. Where we're at right now is not like that. Yep. Yep. No, and I think I think he says that in Madness of Crowds. I think he talks about that, which is what we did as book club. If you haven't read it, uh, yeah, go read that book. Um, so yeah, so I'm not look. I'm not going to read the whole statement, but that was the first thing that bothered me. Uh, and, and then I just want to point out this, I've used this, I've, I've talked about the evil of this phrase before, this phrase for the greater good, everything can be justified by the greater good. So when you see the, for the greater good, uh, run screaming, this is, this is scary. So we'll not settle for a few overcomers, the greater system rather than dismantling the system. So they want to dismantle the system and why it's for the greater good. Okay. This is just, they pat themselves on the back a little bit. We're descendants me, of fighters and defenders let, of legacies. You're, you're can, I butt, can I butt in there for a second again? Yeah, sure. If they say they want to dismantle the system, overthrow the system, then why are they not for school choice? School choice, they've shown. You, you, you know who's um, 
you know who's the most disadvantaged in the current public school system? If it's the it's the people that they claim to speak on behalf of, it's the people they claim to care about. It's it's predominantly uh, on average, it's it's black kids or Latino kids. And so and so giving those kids, giving the parents of those kids school choice where they can choose to send them to a charter school if they want, they're against that. Why? If they want to dismantle the system, then why, why wouldn't they be for trying something new that might help the people they claim to be speaking on behalf of? Right. I don't understand. They, so keep in mind, they're always lying. Um, they, they, they don't want to dismantle the system. Uh, I want to dismantle this. I want to, if they're talking about the public school system, I'm, I would be in complete agreement with that statement. Yes, let's dismantle the public school system. Let's abolish it completely. I know not everyone in chat or even Carrie would agree, but sure, I'm down. Let's get rid of public schools. That's not what they mean. When they say abolish the system, they actually mean to abolish the things that you just mentioned, Carrie. I think they would prefer a system in which uh, everyone was forced to go to government-funded schools. They were all uh, exactly the same and taught the woke ideology. They, they want the indoctrination camps to be standardized. Um, they want them to be standardized at the federal level so that states can't teach different things or different communities can't teach different things. And they want everyone to go through their little activist factory uh, that's that's what they so want. They, that's what they mean by they don't want to dismantle the system. They want to make the system uniform, and they want to have greater control. Over, they want the system to be more rigid than it already is, and they want to have greater control over it. They don't want to dismantle it. Right. If they were if they were being and by the way, this is, stands true for police as well. When they say they want to dismantle the system, even actually, this also stands true for just generally when they say systems of racism and systemic oppression and all that. When they say dismantle the system, what they mean is, I want to be in charge of the system. That's what they mean. They don't mean dismantle it. They mean they want to be in charge. That's what they mean. So they want complete dictatorial autonomy. That's what they want. That's what they want. Okay, so let's see what they're going to sign up to. So first they, they talk about how great they are. They're fighters and defenders of legacies. Excellent. Uh, and... I'm sorry. I don't think I would ever decide. I don't think I would design a statement that was like, I'm a descendant of fighters and defenders of legacies. It just sounds a little bit bombastic, but okay. And though we're operating in realities where national education leaders have never been educators and state educational leaders uphold whiteness as the standard. Okay. So here we go. Whiteness is being upheld as a standard. Now, what they mean by that is grades, um, uh, expectations of, of, of being in attendance, that kind of stuff. Math, right? Okay, so then they go on to say um, they, they, they're, they're trying to make sure that you can't say stop lowering standards. So what they want to say is we're not going to low, don't worry, we're not going to lower standards for kids of color. They say um, holding ourselves to an even higher standard. So instead of lowering their standards, um, they're going to hold their like, standards of, uh, for our children of color to a high standard. A standard that says the educational success and failures of children of color are the successes and failures of ourselves. So this is a really interesting um, agency-destroying statement. And I just, I want to pause. I know it seems innocuous, but here's the argument. The argument is 
um, they say, well, we have to do special things for people of color. We have to have different things for people of color. And the argument is, well, no, you don't want to have lower standards. And they say, well, okay, we were not going to have lower standards. But if they don't turn out by the equity metrics that we want, we're not going to hold people of color accountable. We're going to hold ourselves accountable for that. And so what that means is by holding themselves accountable for that, th what they want is to be held accountable because it means they need to be able to give, they need to be asked, asked for more power to do more if they're going to create a perpetual problem, right? So you're, let's just take an example. You're a black kid. You go to the school. You don't bother to do your homework. You know, you slack off, whatever. You don't succeed. They're not going to hold you to the standard of your failure. They're not going to say, well, you're, you're responsible for your failure because you have agency and you've got to learn that if you want good grades, you've got to put in the work or whatever it is. You've got to show up on time. Instead, they're going to say, well, we've failed. We have failed. This sets them up for the thing that bureaucracies love the most, which is a system that perpetuates failure. Because if you continue to fail, the answer is never to question the system. It's always more power, more money. More power, more money. We tried to do this. It didn't work. I guess we didn't do enough of it. More power, more money. Still didn't work. I guess we need more power and more money. Still didn't work. I guess we need more. more. Well, that's, their, that's the cycle that they want. And the, the other thing is, I, I said this in chat because people were talking about teachers unions and, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't, I don't have enough information. I don't know. I don't know enough to have an opinion on teachers unions. Um, but I know people have strong opinions about them. But, but. I have a lot of family members who are teachers and I do know that even, even 10, 15, 20 years ago, they were starting to push teachers to, um, to graduate kids from class, to move them on to the next grade, even if they weren't ready, which it, it gets compounded because let's say you're a third grade teacher and this kid has failed twice and you're being pushed to move that kid on to fourth grade and they're still not ready. It's compounded because then you're moving on them on the fourth grade and they're going to fail fourth grade, but they're pushed to continue. And so you've got a kid who <coughs> is not actually being helped is just being moved through the grade levels. Right. And what is that? How's that going to help someone for the rest of their life to do that? I don't, you're set, even though they say they're not about lowering standards, they are about creating incentives to give people – and we've seen this in some public schools already where they're no longer allowing failing grades, where you have to give a C or higher. And yeah. I've seen teachers on social media complaining about – Yep. But all that does is you keep moving – C then becomes – as Keith has talked about – Keith did an article about this, I think. Yeah, C I then think becomes, it's on our website or on our yeah, it, medium Yeah, that becomes the F. Mm -hmm. That becomes the F. And so you just keep moving what the what these things mean. But you're also moving kids through the system and not giving them any tools, not actually helping them learn what they need to learn to succeed once they're out of school. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, they are lowering standards. I, I'm just, yeah. they're saying they're not lowering standards. But they're that's exactly they're not, what right. they're doing. Of course they're lowering standards. That's all they've been doing is lowering standards. Um and someone in chat pointed out here, I don't know where it was, but they said, like, look at the curriculum from the 1900s, then 1950, and then today. Yeah, absolutely. Go look at curriculum from 100 years ago. It will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. You know um, what really blew my mind is if you read letters 
from soldiers in the Civil War to their loved ones or any kind of old correspondence from average people, average people who have average intelligence, probably average education, read the way that they wrote, the language that they used and the depth of their vocabulary and think about the letters and the, the, the way that we communicate, that average people like ourselves communicate today. And it, it really humbles you. I was like, yes. wow. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so yeah. And someone actually just meant an illiterate population or subjects. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to cite a movie. My argument's going to be a movie argument. Do you remember in the movie Stargate? Uh, do you ever see the movie Stargate? I did not. Okay. I did not. <laughs> so we're kind of an, uh, a nerdy house. So we, we definitely, my, my daughter loved Stargate and, uh, I, I like Stargate. Uh, so there's a, in Stargate, they go through, they go through the Stargate to another world. It's, it's premised on this idea that like basically aliens built ancient Egypt and then left. And so they go, they find the Stargate and they go to another world and it's can't, kind of like ancient Egypt. But the alien had learned that because the, the humans had language and they had written language, that allowed them to advance enough to like overthrow the aliens. They had gotten kicked off the planet. So in the new planet, the alien was like, had outlawed writing it outlawed literacy basically uh. um and that's what this is this is this is the um undermining well, of literacy because if you undermine literacy then you can control the population and we've seen this before in our history in real life i mean they there were there were prohibitions against slaves learning how to read and write you know of course um because yeah. you don't want them reading the law for themselves. You don't want them reading what actually happened themselves. You don't want them learning. You want them to be spoon-fed by your spoon. That's what you want. <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's just – we can get through this soon here. Uh, we're almost done. So here are their – I'm just going to pull out two of their, their four major things here. What are they going to do? They're going to, one, decenter whiteness. Understanding that traditional organized whiteness ensures domination – through forms like PTAs and unions, we purposely call out and lift up historically non-represented voices of color in our spaces to hold weight and power. Man, they're so obsessed with power, it's creepy. Um, so they're going to decenter whiteness. And the second major thing is dismantle practices that reinforce white academic superiority, like bias and testing and labeling, tracking and clustering that reflect an Americanized version of a caste system in our schools. By the way, this is the other, you'll hear this a lot. Um, this is the argument that um, whenever there's a disparity between, uh, I'll use the word racial, between racial groups in, in performance on some test, they immediately run to this, uh, well, the test is bias, crap. Um, and and the, the classic stupid example is, you know, a long time ago, the world word regatta was like used as this example of like, well, only the white rich snobs know what a regatta is, not people from the inner city who are more likely to be minority. And yeah, you know what? Uh, I agree. Probably only uh, New Englanders that are super wealthy and white encounter the word regatta in their normal day-to-day -day lives. However... Everyone's supposed to be reading and coming across words. <laughs> and 
we can all know what the word brigada means, uh, but, but they've gone to extent to try and remove those words from tests. They've done plenty of, like the IQ test, for example, you can use a Raven's matrix test, which is language independent to measure IQ, and it still correlates to G in the same way. Like the idea that this stuff is biased some way is just bullcrap. It's biased if you believe math itself is biased. Keep in mind, these people believe that the saying two plus two is four is white, that showing up on time is white, that reason and evidence are white systems. Well, if all those things are true, then yeah, all these tests are biased because because uh, math is inherently biased. Um, so w this is very dangerous. I don't know what this means, but you could certainly interpret this as we're going to start um, allowing other ways of knowing uh, in math class. Yeah. And so the last thing I highlight so, here. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, you finish up. That's one of the last thing I want to highlight here is um, they talk about why this is good for white kids. And I just want to tell you, this is how they describe the current system. Uh, or this is how they're saying, they, they're implying that the current system is one in which they are fed poison, that they are better because of their skin color. Now, I would like one example of this. I've never seen, they are acting like the current schools are feeding kids poison because they're, the, 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 I, the poisonous idea that they're better because of their skin color. I, this makes it sound like we are in 1830 at a Darwinian evolutionist, well, maybe not 1830 if it was Darwinian evolution, 1880, uh, a Darwinian evolutionary school where, uh, where they've taken it and they've, they've used it to, uh, they've used racial pseudoscience. And like, it sounds like they're teaching kids that, oh, you're white, so you're better. There's no school in the country teaching that. No one is teaching that. No one is teaching white kids that they're better because they're skin color. No one. But this is the boogeyman they're, they need to they're fight. Actually, they're actually already... They've been teaching social justice now for decades, and it's been trickling down to elementary schools for a long time. It, it hasn't just suddenly moved into elementary schools, although we've seen right. it. It's definitely been ramped up in the past three months. But they've actually been teaching the opposite, that your white skin makes you bad. Right. Well, and I will say the social justice warriors do kind of teach your white skin so they're kind of guilty of saying that because if you well, if you say that whiteness is math, math is whiteness, I guess that's that's well, that's, they're doing simultaneously doing both. They're saying right. all of these good things, um, individualism, equality, being able to do math, being able to be on time. They're saying all these things are white, but they're they're also saying white people are born bad. They're bad people. Right. They have privilege. I'm talking the way in which this gets translated to kids. Because this is, once yes. you get rid of all the pseudo-intellectual jargon that they hide it in at the at the college level, when you're, when you're teaching it to kids, those kids are coming home from school. And we've heard this several times now of kids coming home and saying, what did you learn in school today? I learned that white people are bad. Like, yep. so they're teaching both things. And I think part of the reason, one of the reasons they're teaching that these good things individualism, being on time, they're teaching that these things are white is because they think they've already successfully linked being white to being bad. And how do you get people to think that these good things are bad? Well, you have to link them to a race that you've already, you've already successfully set up as being bad because how do you get people to overthrow and give up the concepts of individualism and equality and being able to do math and being able to, and being able to speak and being able to, um, 
you know, be, be somewhere on time and hard work, success, all those things. You can't get people to hate those things easily. So their tactic is first to make a particular race bad and to make a particular sex bad and then to link those things to that race and that sex. Yep. Because ultimately but, they don't want a meritocracy. They don't want you to like meritocracy. They don't want you to like individualism. Um, and so they did just paint all of those with the patina. And this is how they use the 169 train project, by the way. They yeah. paint all of those with the patina of, well, those came from a slavery era. Therefore, they are slavery. Right? Yeah. Right. Like, that's the argument in a nutshell. I, I was thinking about something this weekend that I want to talk about that th yeah. this this is a good segue into it because... Again, this ideology and the way that they encourage people, especially white people, to virtue signal their empathy and to, to preach this loudly like a, like a fundamentalist religion, um, it gets in the way of actually helping and doing anything for the so-called marginalized groups that you claim to care about, that you claim to be helping. And evidence be damned, and clear-eyed observation of the situation be damned, right? And so um, one of the things I was thinking about this weekend is that, you know, I'm still a liberal. I still call myself a liberal. And that's because on a lot of policy positions, I think I still have a liberal position, although I've changed on some. Um, I'm personal things I've more I've become more conservative but I'm still I still put myself in that camp and I met a couple of people over the weekend there there was a, a, a anti-mask little protest it was maybe five people on the corner that I walked by and I was talking to some of the people and one of the women in the group I recognized and she's a progressive I would say even lefty hippie crystal progressive marianne williamson type progressive <laughs> maybe and she was she there goes to protesting. yoga seminars where she can't speak for two weeks and yeah i don't know maybe yeah and she was there standing side by side with people in trump gear like trump supporters and that was really cool to see that it was it wasn't partisan because again like i you and i have talked about i don't left and right doesn't matter to me very much anymore at all it's just are you an authoritarian or are you for individual rights and true progressives, true liberals are for individual rights. And so it was nice to see a progressive standing there shoulder to shoulder with conservatives and protesting the mask mandates. And so we were kind of talking and one of the Trump supporters, um, when she found out my friend was a liberal or a progressive and that I'm a liberal, she was like, Oh, liberals. Ah. <laughs> And uh, I was kind of, she was an older woman and I started laughing with her. I was like, well, it depends on how you define liberal. I don't think you, I don't think you dislike us. Do you, you know? You, it, and so we were talking about this whole distinction and, um, and the, and the other thing that happened this weekend was that um, my, my boyfriend ran into someone who watches the show, who's a liberal and was, and, and I started thinking about again, how, the reason why I first came out against my old social justice ideology is because I'm a liberal and because I recognized that this ideology doesn't do what it claims to do. And I never want to forget that 
we are building an audience of people that cross all of those lines. We have liberals in our audience. We have progressives. We have conservatives. We have libertarians. I mean, we have people who don't identify as anything, you know, and but the people on the left, I want them to feel I'm at sorry, home are, here. We have political nine binaries. Is that what you're saying? We have political. <laughs> we have political fluid people. Yeah, but but the the real argument against this ideology and against this stuff in the schools and everything is a is a liberal argument, in my opinion, a true liberal argument. This doesn't help children of color, and in fact, it makes things worse for them. You're condescending to people of color, you're condescending to women, you're telling them they can't meet the standards that they're not, you're telling them they're inherently not equal, that they weren't created equal. That's so sexist, that's so racist. You're robbing people of agency and you're not looking at actual, you're not looking clear-eyed at the state of things and you're certainly not looking down the road at where this leads. And down the road, this kind of stuff in the schools, where are we going to be in 10 years, in 20 years with this stuff being pushed? Are, do you believe, do you believe that the world's going to be a more equal place for, uh, um, with equal opportunity, regardless of race and sex? I, I don't think, I don't think you can look at where, what this teaches and look down the road and believe that that's true. And so if you are a liberal, if you are a progressive that's why you should be speaking against this because it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It, it makes things worse for kids of color and for women, for girls. So I, I, maybe that wasn't the right place to put this little rant, but I was thinking a lot about it and I was thinking about, you know, what does liberal mean and what does conservative mean? And again, how I think these things are, we put, we put too much importance on them. This isn't the nineties. Liberal and conservative doesn't mean that much to me anymore. Um, it means a lot to some people, and so I necessarily use those terms. But at the end of the day, it's about do you believe in in the principles of individualism and equal opportunity and getting rid of, of things in the law and getting rid of things like this? That This is systemic racism and sexism is what this is. And they're pushing the schools. If you oppose systemic racism and sexism, you should oppose this being imbued into the school system, being being pushed in and being a part of the school system. So anyway, thanks for letting me do that. No, little no, rant. I, but I know that I'm I aware there are liberals who watch our show. And um, and for anyone who's new who's watching we we get called a lot of things because we're not down with the social justice orthodoxy. Right. And, but but we also disagree but, with each other quite a lot. But we both speak, yeah. we both are called the same thing all the time by the left. Yeah. Let's <laughs> like we're not even. And sometimes they'll be like, "How could you think that?" And like actually, one of us thinks that, but the other one doesn't. Or what? It's like <laughs> there's not even a. We did. By the way, someone in chat pointed out that we also have senior citizens in our audience. Welcome, senior citizens. Um, but and and we that have person said citizen discounts. I don't know. Yeah, we should. <laughs> yeah, we should do we should do go break at five a.m. for the senior citizens um, in the audience. But uh, I feel like a senior citizen sometimes. They said they would vote for a Carter and Kerry ticket, but here's why: Kerry might be the kind of person to run for office, but I can never run for office because, and I can't even officially be supportive of like you don't want me involved in Kerry's campaign. Uh, <laughs> You don't want like I'm not a. You don't you don't want me. No one votes for someone who's like, 
first of all, I don't even want to be in charge of anything. The only reason I would ever be in charge of anything is for a microsecond so I could just wipe it all out and be like, hey, government can't do any of this stuff anymore. I'm done. Can I can I go back home now? Um, like, I just, I would just, I would actually dismantle the system and start from scratch uh, with the founding principles. But uh, no, you can't. No one's going to vote for that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Carrie, I... The, the reason I don't like the terms liberal and conservative and progressive is I don't, and I, I do use them like you do sometimes because people, people hold on to people them. hold on to them. So yeah, I, I get that. Um, but I don't know what they mean from a principled perspective. Like I know I get, so obviously I get the voluntarist position from a principled perspective. I actually understand the minarchism perspective from a principled perspective, and I know where I diverge from them and where we disagree. I don't understand the principles that make someone liberal, and I don't understand the principles that make someone conservative. I don't understand when the use of force becomes justified philosophically and how they justify that. Um, and so to me, it seems like just a crapshoot of random policy positions that I'm supposed to memorize. This bucket of policy positions is conservative. This bucket is liberal. There's some general, like, generally conservative bucket contains these kind of things, but not always. And liberal bucket contains these kind of things, but not always. Uh, and th that doesn't, like, I, that's why I have a very hard, I don't think the terms are very well defined at all. Then you throw in classical they're liberal, not. which isn't liberal. Then you throw in the fact that the left hasn't even, they're not even classically liberal anymore. So, like, the whole thing is just, uh, I, those terms are just horrible. I hate those terms. I know we have to use them sometimes, but I just don't like the terms. <sighs> All right. All of that being said, welcome, liberals. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, I guess. No, I mean, I, I know people who define themselves as liberal. I just don't know what it means, right? In fact, that might be a fun... It might be nice to have, like, someone who... Uh, maybe it's you, but maybe it's someone else who just, like, says, no, I'm a liberal. And, like, what is that? Or I'm a progressive. Somebody like, in the chat said it's a personality type. I bet you would be more inclined... If we played a game where we gave out personality characteristics and you told me if that person was a liberal or conservative, I bet you would like, like wakes up at 11 o'clock. Well, yeah. Okay, fine. That's liberal. It, that's a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> Has a job. Is, by the way. Conservative. I get it. I mean, you know. I woke <laughs> <laughs> I still wake up at 11 o'clock. I'm kidding. I'm very irregular. Some days I wake up at 7 a.m. Some days I wake up at 11. It just depends. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I do, I do get that there are broad things, but they're not principled things. They are personality difference things. I get, um, and I do know conservatives tend to be. This is the the scary thing though. Conservatives tend to be like the we like authority, um, and the liberals kind of felt like they resisted authority, but I don't really believe that they ever were re actually resisting authority. They just want a different authority, and now uh, that's become very obvious. Um, but all right, the opinion, let's do some, can we do some super chats? Cause we're behind again. Yeah. Super chats. Okay. Thank you. The opinionated one, uh, he or she or non-binary, uh, political affiliation says, uh, <laughs> 2016 university grad. I may have been lucky, but I came out of it with a broad understanding of various ideologies and not an ideologue myself, but I definitely saw elements of indoctrination in some courses. Good. I'm glad you... You came out of it that way. And look, it's not just because it's an indoctrination camp doesn't mean you can't survive the indoctrination camp. 
Um, you know, certainly, certainly free will plays a role. Um, I'm not, I'm certainly not a determinist. Benjamin Mouser, thank you, Benjamin. Benjamin says, is victimization a new magic word with SJWs? Why am I being told I'm racist for thinking we're all equal and we're on our own paths? I don't believe every person of color is a victim, but I've been shamed for not thinking that. I don't think it's new. Uh, do you? It's not new, but it, yeah, it's definitely victimization is a word. They What they do, though, is they they turn people into victims. That's why they're shaming you if you refuse to feel like one. They, I think there's in the nothing 80s, they, they even called it victim culture. That was like a thing. Yeah. They, there's nothing they hate more than a woman or a person of color or a gay person who refuses to be a victim. They hate that. Right. Right. They hate that. Right. Because it 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 <clears throat> betrays the narrative that you're you must be a victim because the system is so oppressive. Right. Uh, Wombat of Doom. Hey, Wombat of Doom. Uh, Hi, Wombat. Thank you, Wombat. Wombat says 1979. Barbara Morris wrote change agents in the schools. One of the reasons I started home education in the 80s, knew it was happening 40 years ago. Yeah, Barbara, see people paying attention like you knew this was coming. Uh, it's not, the thing with the left is they're not actually sneaky. Uh, the, the only way in which they're sneaky is they convince you to not pay attention to them. But they, mm -hmm. they write their stuff openly. I mean, even prior to that, uh, we've talked about this on the show before, but even Marcusa in what 1960s wrote basically well what we have to do is take over the academic institutions and like and then and starting with humanities and then and then graduate those people and bleed them out into like it was very very clear that we're gonna think that's the only method available to us if we want a marxist revolution that's they're, they're not even hide they don't hide their plans at all they're just there you could just go read them but then i'm sure that you were called crazy for saying well that this is what they're doing in our schools, and I'm sure people were like, "Oh, come on, wombat!" They're not, I know your name, but I'm not gonna say it on. I'm like, "Oh, come on, wombat!" That's not what they're doing. Uh, you're just being hyperbolic. Blah blah blah. I'm one of those people saying you were being hyperbolic and hysterical because right. I believed the lie. I believed the lie, so I did not see it. But you, did, but it was there, it was written out in the open. It was just there. This is why they can't have you reading. By the way. You, you might stumble across. You might stumble upon their paper trail of their and they do planned a resistance. very good job of keeping people from reading. They, yeah. I turned my brain off. I didn't read, and I, I, as a kid, I was a voracious reader. And then you kind of they whittle down what you should be curious about, and they tell you what to think about so many things, and and they make it like a religion. Certain things are good, and certain things are evil. And like Charles Murray, who we're about to have on, evil. I didn't know anything about him. I had not read The Bell Curve. I knew what I was told to believe about him in college. Right. I knew what I was told to believe about The Bell Curve. I knew he was so evil, right? Yep. And so I didn't read it. Right. They get, they do a great job of keeping you from reading. Get, uh, I just want to throw this out for parents out there. I, and I, I maybe for yourself, you can apply this. But um, a great rule of thumb is... Primary sources, primary sources, primary sources. Always find primary sources. What they, what the left loves to do is have you read interpretations of things, not the things themselves. Not so the things themselves. Find the things themselves. Always find the things themselves. I get that it's a little bit more work, but it's 2020. The internet is at your fingertips. Almost everything is available online. Most of this old stuff, free PDFs. You want to go read what Marcusa wrote yourself? 
It's free. It's online. There's PDFs of it. You want to go read some Derrida? Go read it. You want to read what Kimberly Crenshaw wrote? Go read her. You can read these people. You want to find Gramsci? I think Gramsci's even online. Like, everything's just online. It's just there. Just go read it. You can read it for yourself. You don't have to take someone else's interpretation of it because that's always going to be painted with the lens that they want you, uh, through which they want you to read it. So, and how yeah. they want you to interpret it. All right. The opinionated one. And again, thank you, the opinionated one. I've talked to friends about the dangers of the greater good, and we agree that striving for a common good is better as it is done less and even no harm. Wait, striving for a common good is better as it does less and even no harm. <clears throat> I don't know what that exactly means. Uh, I did. There is a video that He's I made about it. the greater good that you can watch, but I'm not sure what that means. He's saying the common good does less harm or maybe maybe even no harm. Than the greater good? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree, but okay. I think, I think we'd have to define what, co how you define common good, and how you differentiate it from the greater good. But I think that's an interesting thought. Yeah, and I would uh, argue that the word good needs to be. So this is another trick. I'm just gonna throw this trick out there. A lot of words you have to, you have to understand they are relations between things. Good for whom and for what purpose, right? That good implies a for whom and for what. That is implied in the word good. Is it good for cancer to get your chemotherapy? No. Is it good for your life? Yes, if you have cancer. Um, so good implies a f f good to whom or for whom and for what purpose. And if, and if, you're, if your phrases don't include that, then be extremely suspicious of those phrases. Right? I don't know what, when you say common good... That doesn't answer to whom and for what purpose, and that's dangerous. All right. Well, B. I'm Allen. sure they have an understanding of what it means, but... I'm sure that everyone yeah. who says common good has a different understanding of what it means. Of what All it right. means. Is the next one Denise? No, B. Allen is the next one. Uh, oh, you do it. I don't see that one. Okay. Uh, thank you, B. Allen. B. Allen says, uh, Thomas Sowell, he's quote, quoting Thomas Sowell, uh, whole generations have been taught that it's better to have views than to know what you're talking about. Evergreen College? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, they have been. Because, because oh, I had, if, if you I, want activists, that's what you want. That's what you want. I had a lot of views. They also call it having a received opinion. You're given this opinion, but it's not your own. It's Jordan Peterson talked about this a lot. It really stuck with me. He started to make me question which opinions were my own. Which opinions did I actually put in the time and effort to hold? Or which opinions were just received? And when you're receiving an opinion and speaking it, you're like, you are a puppet for someone else's belief. And you may not realize it, but you're acting as a mouthpiece. You may still have the same opinion after doing research, but at least then you'll be confident that it's yours. Yeah. Because you did watch the thing. You did read the thing. You did do the research. Yep. Um, yeah. Is the next one Denise? Yes. Now now it's Denise. Go ahead. Denise Rickenbach. Thank you. Denise says, Carrie, why aren't progressives losing their mind after Trump's executive order against critical race theory? Uh, that's a good question. Well, social justice people, some of them did lose their mind. And we did see some of them on Twitter immediately saying that, um, that to be against critical race theory is is racism and it's white supremacy and all the standard stuff. But I think I actually think 
we haven't seen a bigger blow up against it. I think that they are choosing to ignore it. Yes. Rather than, yeah, they're choosing to ignore it, um, which, which is another tactic. Sometimes they just ignore things like, like in the battle between, um, so remember when it came to performing a service and the, the cake baker who you mentioned earlier in this episode, Carter, the cake baker, the Christian cake baker who did not want to make a wedding cake for a gay wedding, who did not want to be required to perform a service for something that his religion told him he, did, he didn't believe in this, right? The left, because they think that's immoral and you should have to bake the cake for the gay couple, they don't believe they don't agree with your religious belief. They think you should be legally forced to do it, right? So they they came out against the cake baker. He should be forced to make the cake. And then we saw something similar when the um, Muslim woman was sued by the transgender woman for not waxing his if we want to talk about biological sex, but her, because she's a trans woman, for not waxing her genitals, her male genitalia. I think you and that call happened. Him him, but okay. Yeah. Okay. In so that, case. that happened and they did not they did not come out. Now if they were to be intellectually consistent, they would have they would have had to have come out in in def, uh, against the Muslim woman. They would have had to say, Muslim woman, we've already set a precedent with the Christian cake baking care what your Muslim religion says, you must wax the genitals, the male genitals. And, but they, they didn't want to do that because they're not principled. They ideology is what governs them. And all they do is look at which group is more quote marginalized. And so because Christian versus gay couple, they can pick Christian. I mean, they can pick gay couple and they'll be against the Christian, but that's how they look at things. They don't look at the principle. They look at like they look at the group. They're collectivists. They look at the identity group. So in this case, they looked at the identity group Muslim woman, and they looked at the identity group trans woman, and they were like, "We don't know which one to support. So what are we going to do? Let's ignore it." And they completely ignored it, yeah. like it didn't happen, and they didn't take a side. And so sometimes I think they <clears throat> they choose just to ignore things. And in this case, I think they're ignoring the president's act, executive action against critical race theory because they're afraid of actually having that fight publicly culturally. I think so. Yeah, no, I, my my answer to that would be they he went too deep. They want to have the fight publicly on a very superficial level. Um, yes. They, and that's the fight they want to have. But he used the term critical race theory. And I think because he used that term, I think it made it very difficult for them because if they're going to have that conversation now publicly in, it, on a platform that's going to pay attention to the president, like a big platform where the president's involved, so a lot of people are going to pay attention, then they've got to defend critical race theory. And they can't—they know they can't defend critical race theory. They know that the American yeah. people will reject. If, if critical race theory gets examined publicly, they're done. They are done. It's, it's it like the Wizard be, of Oz. Yeah, yeah, it has to be a background conversation, right? Yeah. So they want the public conversation to be about the 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 superficial mm-hmm. stuff, and they want the 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 underlying philosophy to be something that happens only in the academic circles and in the, the yes. other communities that they have. So that and they and then they, the results can get pushed out, and those go out to mainstream. So Trump, um, Trump called them out, for lack of a better term. Trump called them out and, and was like, oh. You want to talk about this? Fine. Let's talk about 
critical race theory. Let's talk about what justifies it. And that's not a conversation they want to have at all. And let's talk about Marxism. He also called yes. it Marxism by name. Yes. They don't want you to examine the roots. That's why, and, and, and this is the best tactic to take is the more you learn about this ideology and the more correct you are about it and the more comfortable you are talking about it. I'm in a lot of social justice groups where occasionally I will contribute. And when I do, I talk about what this ideology really is. And they're all surface level. Almost all of them, only the high right. priests and priestesses in the group have been to the university and had the critical race theory degrees and gotten, and they know what it is, but they don't push all that stuff down. So you will have morons in the group who, who are saying, who just believe, but Black Lives Matter is just about Black Lives Matter. Are you against Black Lives? And it's like, no, I absolutely support, of course, Black Lives Matter. No, who doesn't think Black Lives Matter? And and, I, and because I believe Black Lives Matter, that's why I'm against the organization, because look at their founding principle. And then I'll talk about it's it's rooted in this Marxist ideology. It's rooted in critical race theory, which says we have to treat people differently on the basis of race. It's rooted in this racist belief system, which says that um, black people are not capable of showing up on time or of meeting the same standards as other races, that they're inferior. It's It's rooted in these very racist beliefs. The more comfortable you are talking about that stuff, when you pull the curtain back and you show them the wizard, that's what changes people and gets them out of the ideology. So, yes, I think you're right. They don't want to talk about because he got too specific. He he basically showed he them the deep. little man behind the curtain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he went too deep. And and they're like, oh, we can't <clears throat> have the deep conversation in public because because yeah, because our academic our, our ideas only survive. um with heavy like thick coats of academic paint right they yeah. only they need the gobbledygook academic language they need those circles the minute you start having these debates in public um it's going to get distilled down to its essence and no one's going to agree with it um yeah. in fact i think that's why someone just mentioned in chat that the and I, I had heard this but i haven't verified it that uh blm is taking down their letter of intent behind what they're doing and that the 1619 project is editing some of the uh, justifications. Oh. I think they're retreating a little bit from the, oh, we can't expose the reasons. We needed to, yeah. we thought we needed to expose the reasons to convince people that there was academic cred behind this. But now that that academic cred has been cited and called out, people are looking at it and we don't actually want them to look at it. So we got to yeah. pull it out um, so that we can just only stick with the conclusions. Um, so, and th that's a, I think it was a good I think it was a good move for Trump to call those things out in particular. And on and one other point I just want to really make quickly on this and then we can go to the next chat. Um the way to the, the one of the ways that you can think about the social justice the SJW movement is a not as not as ideas but as a as a psychological manifestation. Um so these are people's psychology manifesting a smorgasbord of ideas. There's not an integrated uh, ideology it's a smorgasbord of ideas driven by psychology and the other thing is um stuff involving race and ethnicity and muslim counts there they've, they've put muslim in the race and ethnicity class that stuff is dictated predominantly by or or buttressed predominantly by critical theory argumentation and other stuff is dominated by postmodern argumentation and those two are actually at odds so in the in the yaniv case um it was clear that critical race theory um, controls. 
which is actually the more explicitly Marxist theory, um, that CRT it controls. CRT is what's in charge. The, the CRT is, is more important than the postmodernism. Postmodernism is used as the tool to justify um, the yeah. Marxism. But, but at the end of the day, if there's a conflict between trans person and critical race theory person, critical race theory person wins. Um, and, and you'll see that, I think that's going to holds true. Whenever there's a conflict between those two, you'll see critical race theory win. Um, so, but, but all that, all that matters is, and th th somebody asked me this recently, so I'll attack this on the end too. They said, you know, um, BLM has only been around for, it hasn't been around for that long, you know, for that many years. So how can, how did they get so organized so fast with all this? It, it doesn't matter. BLM is just, is just one organization that that's come and may go. There've been plenty of organizations. The ideology, the ideology is what's been around for generations. And right. that, I call it social justice ideology, social justice Marxism, but it's been around for, I was indoctrinated, you know, over 20 years ago into it. It's been around for decades and there have been some organizations that have come and go and that have been at the height of pushing it and then and then fallen. BLM may or may not be as prominent in the future as it is now. Right now, it happens to be really popular. They hit upon a great name for an organization that pushes it. But there have been feminist ones. There's been LGBT ones. There's um, black ones. It's and around all the different identity uh, these points of identity that they push. And so it's just one organization, but it's pushing, it's pushing social justice ideology and critical race theory is one part of social justice ideology. There's also feminist theory. That's a part of social justice ideology and the queer theory. And there's, a, th right. there's lots of them. This one right now is the vehicle that is moving the whole ideology forward faster. It happens to be the organization happens to be BLM and the, um, the theory, the so-called theory behind it happens to be the critical race theory. It, that's the engine driving this right now. But if something big happens in the future where they're able to, they're able to push culturally the sex or gender thing for in that sudden they'll switch in, they'll switch who's on the engine. They'll use that in the future. Yeah, I think they yeah. will. But I, I still, I still think that critical theory broadly controls um, because postmodernism is pretty inept at actually because you need critical theory. Oh, I to, agree. I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, I'm just explaining to people it's not just about why race. That's why. This. Yeah, right. That you you'll you'll be like, wait a minute. Why are why are um why is why is suddenly the this black group saying they're not gonna that they're why are they including this trans thing in their platform or why is this trans group including this black because they're all part of this big umbrella called social justice ideology. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> the reason that they don't have to they can organize quickly is they don't have to tell anyone. They don't have to explain what's going on to anyone. Everyone, everyone already understands what the marching orders are just ideologically. And so it's just like, they, they don't have to explain. This is why we have to fight this, blah, blah, blah. They all know everyone's been taught. So like, Hey, black lives matter. Blankety blank. They have, they can say three sentences and everyone's like, Oh, yep. Done. They all know how to, they all know how to move forward. Cause they're all, they all have the same belief system already. Cause they all, Went to Evergreen or whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> Marie Buskey. Thank you, Marie. Marie says, I got hauled in front of the Minister of Education for encouraging my son to question his learning in pursuit of truth. I was instructed to stop. I doubled down. How is an exceptional... He's now an exceptional critical thinker. 
what's the they first first of all there's a ministry of education that is orwellian uh i was instructed so so they didn't want you to augment your son's education by pursuing the truth at all yeah so hi marie Department by the way if you guys education. are new if you're not familiar with marie and you're new go look up the interview we did with marie busky where she's a small business owner she is one of the owners of skeins yarn in new zealand skeins yarns and very inspirational and i'm not surprised that she stood up for her son yeah because she's also stood up in other ways in her life and I don't know. I think you're. I think you're a very inspirational person, Marie. That's the right thing to do. Good job, Marie. Uh, gentleman warfighter, <clears throat> how do you label or identify yourself? If any tag you'd use generally assigns to you things you do not agree with. I don't know who that's directed at. You have to be real specific. That's why I guess when I call myself a liberal, I usually try and explain what I mean because people like that Trump, that that go hard Trump supporter I ran into this weekend. When she heard the word liberal, she heard a whole bunch of things that are not me. <laughs> so you just have to. We're in an age of newspeak and or well like Orwellian terms and up is down, down is up. Plus, people mean they hear. I have friends on the right who use liberal in the way that I use SJW leftist. And I know what they mean because I know them. And I know when they say liberals are like this, they don't mean me. They mean what I call social justice left. And yeah. but if other people are observing our conversation, I usually have to say again to this friend or whoever, you know, well, I know when you're using liberal, you mean this. And cause I can't agree with you. Cause I don't think liberals support social, ju social justice is not liberal in my mind at all. You just have to use more words. You just have to make sure you're being understood yeah. and that people know what you mean. Um, right. I, I'm going to have to wrap up soon, Carter, cause I have something I'm running late for, but, um, that's fine. I'm just going to go through super chats. If you okay. want to stay here for super chats or wrap up now. Let me wrap up now because I need to do this call. Uh, I apologize. I should have told you I had a heart out, but um, that's fine. Thank you guys for the super chats. And just wanted to plug we have unsafe space mugs are finally in, and Carter's been shipping them out. Yes. If you want to support us financially, you can do so at unsafespace.com. Go to the donate page, and there's lots of ways to donate. You can even donate with Bitcoin or something if you don't. We love Bitcoin if you want to do that. Um, but if you want to, if you want to get a mug, we have a subscribe star and you, it'll take you to our subscribe star page. You can donate there at the $25 level a month or higher, you will get a mug and you can also just give a dollar or whatever you, we have different levels. Um, if you're not able to do that, just share our video. That helps us immensely. The more people that find out about the channel. And uh, if you want to be in book club, book club is free to join and participate. We're currently reading human diversity. We're going to talk about it in a week. Go to our book club page. Hope to see you there. Awesome. Thank you, Carter. All right. Thank you, Carrie. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you on Friday, but, and maybe before, uh, maybe and the audience before. will definitely see you in a few other conversations that are going to get released this week. So including Charles Murray. Yeah. So cool. All right. Bye. Thanks Carrie. guys. Thanks for showing up. Bye. All right. We'll just do a few super chats and then we'll, we'll wrap up for the day. Everyone, uh, rock lexicon. Thank you. Rock rock says, uh, 
joined your stream late, so you might have discussed this, but did you all see that BLM took down their What We Believe page, getting much attention? Uh, we, we briefly mentioned it, briefly mentioned it, and uh, as I... As I mentioned, I think it's a, I think it's partly in response to uh, the underlying philosophy getting put onto the national stage, um, mostly through Trump's executive orders, and so because people are being are are now being made aware of the intellectual roots of some of this stuff, it's they don't want to have that conversation on the on the main stage on the public in the public forum because they can't. Uh, Daniel Morrill, thank you, Daniel. I'll start by saying, God forbid, God forbid that Carrie and other break up, God forbid, but it happens then, I'll assure you that we'll call each other boyfriend and girlfriend, not fellow, but you know, God forbid. Uh, someone remember that and relay it to Carrie <laughs> for me, Beverly. Uh, okay, Wombat of Doom, thank you, Wombat. Wombat says, senior citizen here, I often see, I often see 5 a.m., but that's from playing... Grand Theft Auto on my PlayStation and haven't gone to bed yet. Proof you can't generalize. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I'm ge I'm generalizing. But I, uh, do you go to the um, hometown buffet at four for dinner? That's the question. Uh, and I know that's offensive. I'm just joking, people. All right, um, Mr. Biggles. Uh, thank you, Mr. Biggles. He says, hmm, with the education woke push, will we at some point see students slinking out at lunchtime to not smoke or graffiti, but being rebellious by taking sneaky glances at Euclid's elementary, Euclid's <laughs> elementary <laughs> geometry? Yeah, perhaps they're going to sneak out and do some math. Uh, the, I, I do think I have heard rumors. I don't know because I don't have a child in high school, but I have heard rumors that some of the like the kind of punk thing to do in high school now is to be conservative, which is uh, shocking, but I guess happens. Um, yeah, I would say just pull your kids out of school. I've said this before, but we have maybe a lot more subscribers since I said it the first time. And I mean this, and it's not, I'm not being hyperbolic. Uh, it would be better to have your child sit at home and do nothing than to go to public schools in general. I'm sure there's exceptions, but you don't have to even teach them them sitting at home and doing nothing. Give them some books to read. Uh, that's better. Okay. The Opinionated One. I mean, common good in the artisan sense of the good of the individual. Basically, work towards good of individuals and the group still benefits. Uh, yeah, but uh, again, this begs the question, which individual? What's good for me isn't the same as what's good for someone else and... Um, and I get to decide what's good for me, not you. So all of this, all of this, this is why, you know, the, this, the, the individualist ethic comes from a recognition that you don't have a right to tell other people what's good for them. Um, and they need the, the liberty to make those decisions themselves. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that. But again, good of the individual, the, like individuals aren't a group. Like the good of individuals isn't a thing. Um, cause they all have, each person is an individual and what's good for them is ultimately, uh, uh, should be up, morally should be up to their own discretion. They might be wrong about it. They might decide injecting heroin into their eyeballs is good for them and that's bad, but, uh, you know, we can argue with them, but it's their choice at the end of the day. Uh, 2A self-defense law gives us 10 bucks and says knowledge tax. Just don't refer to it as a tax, but thank you. <laughs> it's not a tax. <laughs> Uh, opinionated one, 
again, uh, thank you. I'm referring to Aristotle. Sorry, LOL. Oh, I was uh, very, I didn't know what that meant. I wanted to say Aristotelian, but it really looked like artisan with lots of eyes. <laughs> Sorry for missing that one opinionated one. All right. I think that's it. The only last thing I want to say is um, someone says Carter seatbelts. What about seatbelts? If you want to wear one, you can wear one. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't change good of the individual. Um, I can decide whether seatbelts are good for me. I might be wrong. Seatbelts might always be good for me. It's still my decision about whether seatbelts are good for me. And in some cases, seatbelts actually might not be good for me. I can't think of what those cases would be, but uh, maybe if I'm sitting in my car going two miles an hour to move it, and technically I'm violating the law, but I'm moving it from one parking place to another, maybe seatbelt doesn't really matter. And I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's my decision regardless. Uh, so, all right. Yeah, the last thing I want to mention is um, just, a, just a thing to note. Social media is getting worse. Uh, in terms of its clampdown on wrong think. And this is something that uh, we noticed. I, tr I tested this out by trying to post this to our Facebook page. The original Jordan Peterson video uh, where he, well, not original, but the, the, the video in which he is um, sitting in front of the Senate in Canada. Um, there's a Senate hearing on Bill C-16 and his testimony for it, which I would think would be in, uh, would be protected somehow by, at least this is in public needs to know this. This was a, a government function and um, civic minded people might want to see what people said about Bill C-16 in Canada. Um, Facebook is is not prohibiting that URL from being posted. I tried to post it and uh, I got a note that it was banned. So um, they are, they're really, they're really, uh, they are really doubling down here, right? They are really, they are really stepping up their game, uh, especially right ahead of the election. So be prepared for that. By the way, I'm not arguing that seatbelts are bad. Uh, I, I do think seatbelts are generally, generally good. Uh, but more important than whether seatbelts are good for everyone is everyone gets to decide whether seatbelts are individually good for them. That's how individualism works. And what you can't do is say, I like individualism, except for these things where I think I'm right. Uh, and then everyone has to do what I say, because it's obvious that what I say is right. You're not an individualist. Uh, individualists leave each other alone. You leave them alone. Let them not wear a seatbelt. Not your problem. Uh, okay. <sighs> and I missed the time when we didn't have seatbelts in the back seat of large cars. Uh, our front seat, I guess, of uh, the big boats that we would drive to school. So, um... All right. Have a good day, everyone. Have a good week. We will, like I said, we're going to come out with some interviews this week. We're definitely going to uh, release Charles Murray this week, probably some others. So you get to see that. It's a great, it's a phenomenal interview with Charles, Charles Murray. And speaking of getting banned, that's one that might get us banned. We go to places with Charles Murray that the woke will definitely not like. And so uh, we touch on, we touch on issues that have been we haven't touched on before and we've been avoiding them because I didn't want to have the conversation in the absence of an expert, even though I've read a lot of the stuff and I'm pretty sure I know the state of the, the, the modern state of some of this research. I, I didn't want to have the discussion without an expert, but we had the discussions with Charles Murray. So, uh, stay tuned for that one. I think you'll enjoy it and that's it. We'll see you guys on 
uh, Friday for another Kofefi break at 11 Pacific. Like Carrie said, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and you can support the show by going to unsafespace.com slash donate. And uh, see you later. Thanks. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 94.9% .9 chance that their ideas are more contagious than COVID. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Remain calm. The new group of nine people will enforce the Constitution just as well as all previous sets of nine people have done. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.